Ladies and gentlemen, Dan and Aldo. I'm well. Can you hear me good? I can. You're coming in loud and clear, and I'm not hearing any static. Today has been a weird fucking day for me, Dan. Weird fucking day. Well, tell me what's up, and I want to know what I what led to you being on WGN as well. Oh, okay. Um, today I wake up, my wife wakes me up and says, don't forget, you got to take the dog in at 9am. I was like, shit, I was hoping to sleep till 10am. Uh, and then do the, the Greg Gabriel show. Cause I was up last night doing artwork for it. So I get up and I take the dog into the groomer and they look at me like, you weren't supposed to be here today. And they check the schedule. Yeah. You're supposed to be here tomorrow. So I'm, I, of course, is swearing my wife. Oh, fuck shit. Fuck, <laughs> <laughs> so I come home and I do the Greg Gabriel show and I send him the wrong link. So he and I are doing our show under the title, Dan and Aldo bear their souls. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and people are gathering in the chat room saying, where's Dan? Who is this guy? <laughs> Referring to Greg. And then other people are at the old link, the correct link, and they're sitting there waiting. Chris Watts told me he was waiting there for almost an hour <laughs> waiting for the, the uh, Gabriel Talks football show. So it's been one of those fucking days. You know, I could go on with more bullshit, but how's your day been, man? Ah, it's been all right. I hope that, uh, that this show goes well. I, like I told you before we went on air, I'm so disappointed. I wanted to make you a copy of that Chicago Bulls at LA Lakers from December of 84. Mm -hmm. I got it, and the second half doesn't have any announcing whatsoever. That kind of ruined it for me. And uh, I got my award today, though. Physically was presented. At, uh, I won it on Saturday, not to tug on my own dick, but I was handed that uh, today, and it's pretty good, man. It's it's uh, heavier than any of the other ones I got. It feels like it's more expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, uh, I want to hear all about the Taylor Hawkins and and because uh, you you've been paying attention to these tributes that have been made for him, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I specifically watched uh, the Grammy one you sent me, and uh, you know, I was around a female when I was watching. I was like, God damn, I hope she doesn't see me crying. <laughs> That's okay. That makes you sexier. <laughs> well, it, it's strange to me sometimes. Uh, like, I'm strange to me sometimes in the sense that, you know, people I don't even know. There have been, you know, Walter Payton died. I cried. Mm -hmm. uh, when uh, the wrestler Owen Hart died, I cried. Mm -hmm. I'd grown up watching Owen wrestle. Uh, Chris Cornell died. I cried. And now for some strange reason, the Taylor Hawkins thing kind of hit me that way too. Mm -hmm. So just seeing all the footage of him alive and, you know, it does. It just it, it's he's only he was only fifty. You know, mm -hmm. and he had a wife and a couple of kids, and yeah. was still drumming his ass off. You know, so God, if you just watched him play, I mean, you would think the guy had twenty more years to go. You know, uh, just beating the drums, let alone retirement. Yeah. Well, it, it, and this guy was a good-looking guy, man. He must have got a lot of pussy. <laughs> yeah, you, like again, I don't want to sound homosexual here, but I'm not, I'm comfortable with my sexuality. Uh, back in the day when he first joined the band, uh -huh. you know, music videos were still a thing, you know? Mm -hmm. 
uh, well, I mean, I guess now they are, but you know, MTV was still MTV is my point. Mm -hmm. And a lot of, and there were several videos where he cross-dressed, mm. uh, where he was playing a female in the music video. And my point is he kind of pulled it off. Mm -hmm. If he wanted to be that 1980s, like, uh, what was the word that they used like during the Prince era? Oh, uh, uh, a mis misogynist? No, not misogynist. That's, that's the opposite. Yeah, no, definitely, <laughs> definitely not that. But yeah, androgynous. Androgynous. Yeah, he could have pulled that off, man, because he was thin. And if he just shaved his beard and put on the makeup, man, he could pull off being a lady. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, incredible talent. Uh, by the way, uh, for those who don't know, uh, Johnny Santucci is not here with us. He spoke about it last week that he was going on a cruise with his family and he sent us this video. Hey, this is Tooch from the Dan and Aldo show. I am on the Sunset Cruise with Alita. Can you say Booze Cruise? Booze Cruise. Booze Cruise. Everyone, I'll be back next week enjoying my vacation with the family. Talk to you later. Have a great show. Good for you, Where, Tooch. Where's he at? Do you know? Jesus, he told me, um, and now I'm forgetting, uh, someplace, oh, uh, Siesta Key area, down in uh, Florida. I've got a, a, I know it's earlier in the show, but I have a television recommendation for you based mm -hmm. off Taylor Hawkins. Uh, they, they made this show last year called Music Box on HBO, which had these documentaries. And the lead one was Woodstock 99, you know, where they were doing a documentary about certain musicians and what have you. Mm -hmm. And they did they did one on Alanis Morissette and Taylor of course started as Alanis's drummer. Mm. So if you if you watch that like Taylor's on there saying things like this tour was debauchery, man. I've never had so much pussy in my entire life. Like he was talking about how every guy in the band had groupies coming up to them because they liked Alanis before the show and was lining up like, "Well, we want to fuck you and you and you." And it was just you know, rock and roll, rock and roll, like where all the women wanted to fuck them. And there's a lot of stories and the Lannis will be on there. Like that's kind of a, the opposite of what my music was saying. So it's, uh, it's hard for me to, to, uh, to, uh, approve of that, you know, but, but she said like when Taylor left, she cried and begged him not to leave mm. to go to Foo Fighters. But obviously that was more of his kind of music, you know, mm -hmm. you but it's a fun, it's a fun documentary. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, did you see any of the Grammys at all other than the Taylor Hawkins thing? No, apparently no one else did either. Oh, really? <laughs> the lowest rated ever, I think. <laughs> I think America and probably most of the world is just over all of these award shows. It's like, come on, you guys, you know, sucking each other's dick and, and uh, it's just nuts. But I did, uh, I don't know why, but I, I did for some reason watch uh, a portion of it. And uh, Avril Levine, you remember her? Yeah, of course. She's she was with that that guy from Nickelback, and yeah. Needless to say, he's not a, a good looking fellow. That Chad Kroger, <laughs> Cliff Victoria says it's the lowest lowest rating rated uh, Grammys until next year's show. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so she's uh, presenting award an award, and I remember when she just when she first came out, and, and uh, she was on the cover of Entertainment Weekly. She had a couple of hit songs that I would listen to with my kids and stuff, and she was a, a sexy little eighteen year old. Now she looks like a milf, <laughs> you know. She's uh, clearly looks like she's had kids and she's still hot as hell but you know there's a obvious difference uh in uh the type of sexual appeal that she offers nowadays and i had you know there was a, a that 
case also with a lot of the other Grammy performers, you know, that the, their age now has changed their looks. They all, they all look fabulous. I mean, these people have so much money to maintain their good looks or create good looks. Bill Maher on his show this past week talked about how he has to pay to have his high hair dyed and he's obviously had some hair plugs put in and stuff. Have you noticed that about uh, Bill, his, his transformation into uh uh, senior citizenship he's done some upkeep on himself yeah the hair uh, especially because every year he talks about it too every year he goes and does a show uh before covid and then now he's back to it at, on new year's in hawaii mm -hmm. and like he has shown a couple of videos like cell phone you know how he likes to brag about getting stoned mm -hmm. uh which is a little pretentious it seems to me at times but uh, but it'll show a picture or a video with he and, you know, some other celebrity, Woody Harrelson, for example, uh, getting high or whatever. And it would be startling to me because I'd look and be like, damn, Bill looks bald there. Yes. <laughs> so it would just be him without his, like, you know, suit on and just just chilling. And it looked like, yeah, he he, uh, he, he was just really bald in the regular life. Yeah. He, uh, if you've seen portions of his new podcast, which is also videotaped, I guess you would call it a webcast. I haven't. Like, I, I used to be such a big fan of his, and not that I, I'm not anymore. It has dropped off a little bit. Yeah. But I haven't, I've been busy. I haven't even been able to watch the last two episodes of Real Time, and, and I was certainly a fan of that every week. Yeah. But I've missed the last two weeks. I was at, I was at a Slipknot concert last Friday, though. Mm -hmm. I should have pulled a clip of uh, the portion of the show that I saw. He's interviewing Quentin Tarantino, and apparently this happens in his garage, which doesn't look like a garage. It's actually another studio that he has on his properties. He's a very rich man, and so he's got this studio built on his property. He calls it the garage or the lounge or something like that. In any case, he's interviewing Tarantino, and I put down in the comments section, I am getting a contact high just from watching these guys. They were both toasted man tarantino and bill maher are so fucked up in this video and they keep interrupting each other and the conversations go left and right and so forth it, I, I don't know if i enjoyed it or not i mean I, I kind of enjoyed seeing this behind the scenes look of two mega stars uh and tarantino i, I think is a bigger star than bill maher but they're both big stars just totally ripped on marijuana and they're smoking throughout the show too. So just, just for that fact, it's worth a taste testing. Yeah. Uh, Tarantino is one of those guys. Every time I see him, like for some reason, I am kind of just sucked into whatever he's talking about. Yep. Me too. Because I like his movies so much that I just, he could be talking about what, flavor food his cat was eating and i would i would listen <laughs> i would prefer he talks about movies but yeah tarantino's in that category along with martin scorsese especially when they're talking movies it's like a master class uh it, it, you just have to sit and listen if you get an opportunity to ask i would love to interview any one of those guys or to have them both on this show would be outstanding my goodness that would be uh such a, a thrill for me because I love their take on movies and, and the fact that they're walking encyclopedia. Cliff Victoria. What was that guy's name on PBS that used to interview all the celebrities and stuff? I always, I always thought he had great interviews and then he got, he got sunk with the me too thing. Uh, Char uh, Charlie Rose. Yeah, man. Like if he, you ever seen like Tarantino or any of the filmmakers on there, I thought he was great. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I was actually interviewed by Charlie Rose when I was uh, about 19 years old. 
Um, Let's fucking outstanding. Yeah, Charlie Rose had a local show here in Chicago called, I think it was called AM Chicago. And uh, there was a a feature in the Chicago Tribune about uh, gangbangers in Chicago. And so I get this call out of the blue. I don't even remember who called me and said, hey, they want to interview them, Charlie Rose. They're going to talk to gangbangers. And they want to talk to you, a former gangbanger who is now doing well. I, was, I had a broadcasting job or whatever it was. So I went on the show and I was nervous as fuck, primarily because there was three angry guys looking at me, <laughs> wanted to kick my ass. And they probably thought I was white, like everybody I ever grew up with. I uh, thought I was white because I'm the lightest skinned Puerto Rican on planet Earth. And uh, and so Charlie uh, uh, asked me a bunch of questions about, you know, what would you advise these guys? Which was like fucking frightening. What am I going to tell these guys? Hey, you guys are fucking up. Get your shit together. You know? You're so, going to sound like Bill Cosby. <laughs> exactly. Pull your pants up. <laughs> exactly. God damn it. Uh, and I had I had done part of the reason I was asked is because I in high school I had done an anti-gang movie. Uh they got a, a lot of press. It was shown uh nationally on uh, PBS and and so that's probably where they got my name and um and also my teacher was 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 associated with a lot of the broadcast types in Chicago. So uh, he asked to see my movie. So I ran back uh, home, got my 16 millimeter print of the movie, dropped it off uh, to his secretary. He didn't come down to get it. His secretary did. And he says, oh, thank you very much. He's going to really enjoy watching this. And about an hour later, it's a 45 minute movie. An hour later, I get a call back saying, okay, uh, you can come and pick it up. He didn't fucking watch my movie. <laughs> he was probably fucking that chick that came down to get that print of the movie. Well, why make you come and bring it then? No? <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, that was my uh, Charlie Rose story. <laughs> no bad says Puerto Rican. Damn, that's news. <laughs> yeah, I am Puerto Rican. My, my, the funny thing is uh, that um, – my mom told me that the postman was Polish. So maybe, maybe uh, my biological father really isn't my biological father. Wow. <laughs> maybe I'm a Polish Rican. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, let's talk a little Chicago Bears football. Thank you, everyone who is with us live. We're about 16 minutes into the show. Uh, you listen to us talk some shit, and we're going to talk some more shit on the other end of this. But I wanted to share with Dan, because I don't think he's heard it, uh, and a lot of our followers, an interview done over at 670 The Score um, with uh, the Park and Siegel show. They had on uh, Ron Veal, who is the uh, quarterback coach for Justin Fields. Have you heard this interview, Dan? I have not. Okay, you're going to love this. So uh, Mr. Veal has been his quarterback coach, Justin Fields, quarterback coach since he was like six years old, something unbelievable. And so he works with him almost every year. And so, so is this is where he's talking about Fields was angry in Cleveland. You got it. I read this. Yeah. I read I read about it. But yeah, please go ahead. Now you'll get to hear it from his very mouth. Uh, he talks about that and about some of the things that they've worked on. And then I've got some questions on the other end. Like, really, is this the best thing for Justin Fields that he's working with an independent quarterback coach and it's not someone who has contact with uh, the team? So uh, that's discussed to a bit on that, and we'll discuss more about it on the other end. Here it comes. This is uh, Mr. Veal being interviewed on the Parkins and Seagull show on 670. I've cut out about, it was about a 10, 12 minute interview. I've cut about half of it out. Here it comes. Ron Veal, Justin Fields, quarterback coach. How are the workouts go in this offseason? 
they went well. You know, he's back in Chicago now, but he was home for like two months. So we did maybe 15, 16 sessions together, individual sessions, just working on a few things because, you know, they got a new offensive coordinator and a new coach. So we're just trying to implement some of the things that they will be going over here in the next couple of weeks. What specifics about that can you share with us? Well, you know, just drops and, and making sure his time is good. We're trying to speed up his drop his drops a little bit more, trying to speed up his delivery a little bit more so he can throw the ball on time instead of waiting, waiting on the get out of break, a little bit more anticipation. So those are the things we focus on. Is it new stuff based on new coordinator that he's got to work on, or do you also then, Ron, have an opportunity to work on stuff that, that you watched last year, that he experienced last year, and try to improve that stuff too? Well, both of those um, really worked on, like, his ball security and his drop and his, his ball carriage and his drops, trying to get him a little bit more secure, um, along with some of the new stuff that they will be doing under the new coordinator. How do you balance his natural inclination to look for the home run shot, you know, the, the touchdown to check down mentality, and his improvisational skills to extend the play with, hey, man, sometimes it's okay to take a sack. How do you balance that? Well, we talked a lot about that as well. We talked about more just taking a check down to a name there. Um, he would always say, sometimes I'm doing way too much. And he understands that from watching film. It's like there are situations where I could have taken a check down and if the sack takes place, it takes place. But as long as we don't turn the ball over and give them extra downs to participate in the game, we're, we're, we're okay with that, in my opinion. Now, his coaching staff might say something different for us, like sacks are not okay Get to try to get the ball out or try to get rid of the ball and avoid the sack. But I think the check downs, if he go through his progressions the right way, get to the check down, a lot of that stuff will take care of itself for the sacks and everything else. Uh, at the beginning, you know, you said, but like some of the stuff that the, the coaches wanted him to work on, like the speeding up his drop, speeding up his delivery, and then there you said, you know, maybe they would say something different. So are you in touch with Luke Getze, or are you doing what Justin says they want him to do? How's the communication between you, the private quarterback coach, and, and the team's coaching staff? Well, it's through Justin. And okay. so when our sessions take place, he would bring the information that he wanted to work on. And we would work on that information because he would have Donnell Mooney down and he had the tight end down, Cole. So those things were worked on in sessions, what what they wanted him to work on. Um, someone had used the phrase to me, the sequence of exposure. Like it matters what you teach and like what order. And the way that it was, they were talking about it was like, Boy, if you feel unprotected on the edges, like those, like there's not a lot of max protect or chip help. If you feel like there, you might get clobbered. Then it's harder to learn other things. Um, it, it, would, would you agree with that as a thought process that a young quarterback needs to feel safe and protected in the pocket before he can truly learn some of the other nuances of the offense? Yes, I do agree with that. You know, to a certain extent, sometimes quarterback has to make sure the protection is right for him to protect himself. And um, I think it works hand-in-hand. The more safe or secure he feels, he can start getting the ball out a little bit quicker and eliminate some of that stuff happening to him for us, like the hits or the sacks. Because we were going crazy here last year, Ron. Like that Cleveland game plan yeah. was just insane to see those defensive ends allowed that, that freedom. Were you going crazy like we were watching some of that? 
Yeah, it was it was bad. I was supposed to be at that game because that's his first start. But the way the way the airlines worked at that time, I didn't make it. I'm kind of glad I did because he took a beating that day. Um, but yeah, it was kind of it was kind of crazy and weird at the same time. Why would you leave those two two guys on with no help? <laughs> did you ever get an explanation? No, nah, I didn't. Um, I know he was a little pissed about it, but I didn't get an explanation. And I really didn't ask because I know he was in a situation where he was really pissed off about it. That game specifically or the year overall? Because it was, it felt like there were just asking him to do a lot with very little help. Well, you know, I think that game, because that was his first official start, but, you know, he played well at times and he, and, you know, he struggled at times, which is what happened with rookie quarterbacks. But I think he had a lot of information to learn from and get better from, you know, during the offseason. And I think that's going to help him this season be a little bit more productive and a little bit more careful and cautious with the ball. Yeah, that makes sense. I, you know, hopefully the way it's supposed to work, right, that Justin learned a bunch and then can now go to Luke Getze, go to Matt Eberflus and say, and go to you, obviously, in your sessions. All right, I, I need this. Did he express anything that he needs to really feel secure and be the best quarterback that he can be? Yeah, he just wanted, like I said earlier, he just wanted to get better at the little things, like for his drops, you know, his sets, his movements, not being off balance and not doing too much when he make a move in the pocket. Um, delivering the ball on time and with anticipation. You know, he said, like last week, he said, a lot of times I was just pulling on the wall to make sure they was coming out the break. You know, that's just a young quarterback not really trusting it as much as he should, you know? You know, we've been talking a little bit about this on the show. So this upcoming year, it will be Justin's third offense in three years. Uh, there will be a new, you know, he loses Allen Robinson. Uh, there's uncertainty with the wide receiver core, the offensive line. Like it's the second year in the league, you're supposed to make a big jump from year one to year two. What is reasonable to expect from Justin this year, given the circumstances uh, of the situation around him? Well, I think all of that is out of his control, first of all, and I just think he has to prepare and get himself ready to play each game, you know, Sunday by Sunday and let those guys know that they're professionals and that they'd be ready to play as well and then and go out and perform. And um, I hope that's what the game plan would be for us, like really understand what I'm supposed to do, how I'm supposed to do it week by week, prepare myself week by week, and be ready to play on Sunday. So- and he can't control that part of the game. He just has to control what he can control. You've been around football so long, though, though, Ron. Like, so you said he was pissed about the game plan for Cleveland. Like, in your mind, what is the best situation to to make Justin Fields be successful? I think just let him play and be himself, and um, live with some of the mistakes that he will make, and then you know he's going to make plays in the game, and he's going to not make plays. But I think you just continue to build on the success that he has, and um, just know he's a young quarterback. So, immediate thoughts, Dan Aguirre. I want to share my thoughts later, and then also share some of the thoughts in the in the comments that I collected during uh, Mr. Veal's interview. There, your thoughts? 
I think watching the game, we were also pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> we sure fucking were. <laughs> we had such great seats. And again, I thank you for that once more you bet. <laughs> uh, for that, uh, that game. Yeah. I, I like the honesty and I like that. Maybe he's not supposed to say that. And maybe fields will tell him like, bro, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's not like Nagy's still there. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's a new staff. So they, they can't be too, I would hope that the Chicago Bears themselves or it, the institution, the organization couldn't be mad at Justin for this, uh, his uh, quarterback, uh, his, what was his official title? The guy works him out in the off season since he was young, uh, his QB coach for lack of a better. That's uh, right. Well, that guy saying that he was pissed good because that's a to me. I think when I hear that, I'm like, this is a guy that knows he's better and more he's capable of doing more and is pissed off that he he had a bad season he knows it and i like that i like that he he cares i mean i thought that he cared anyway mm-hmm. but just to hear that confirmed is what i was i was like good mm-hmm. i like that and it just confirms that everybody knew how incompetent that scheme was <laughs> When you make the Browns look like the 85 Bears that day. <laughs> That's right. And that was their best game of the season, and that defense had some pretty good games. Uh, but that was in a co- complete annihilation and a complete embarrassment. I think we said it that week on the show. It was an embarrassment to the city of Chicago, to Bears fans, to the organization, to the legacy that is the Chicago Bears. It was just another Will Smith smack, smack to the face of <laughs> of chris rock i mean it was that bad and uh it's 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 awful that the first time you and i get to meet face to face and we go see a game at a really brilliant uh looking stadium uh and it ends up being such and we were in that game we could have turned things around we were into the middle of third or late in the third it was like the uh, same thing happened the night before at that white Sox game against the indians (laughs) it was just they were lethargic and had no energy and at any point, if you get a big hit here or there, then they're in the game. Mm-hmm. But they never got a hit here or there. It feels like they had like three hits all night. Mm-hmm. Yep, indeed. Uh, here are some of the thoughts in the chat room. Leo Factor says, you would think that after the Browns game and bad season on offense, the Bears would try to communicate with Fields' quarterback coach to talk about what went wrong. And I agree with that, Leo. The idea that this guy has a quarterback coach and hair bear uh, also points out that he, that fields has a second uh, personal quarterback coach that the idea that the team is not communicating with them, at least on a general level, you know, Hey, these are the things we would love for you to work on. These are uh, you know, and, and of course, you know, Justin Fields is communicating that to them, but wouldn't they also just want to ask some questions of the quarterback coach to make sure that he is teaching Justin Fields the right things. Like I'll, I, like I, I, I can be skeptical sometimes. Um, I was taught to be as a journalist. What happened? What happened since he was six years old? What happened with some of these basic things about ball protection? What about that loopy delivery? I mean, he didn't even mention that during the the interview. Is that something that he has not addressed? Because he certainly had not addressed it prior to him coming to the NFL. It, it, he, we saw it at Ohio state. Um, and I'm sure it, it was something he probably developed in high school. So why wasn't that addressed and why uh, can we, can we be sure it is being addressed 
uh, this off season by somebody. Um, so I'm a little bit as Nagy would say, we need to find out the why (laughs) always. (laughs) And I love what Bruce Ali Walter Jordan says here is Nagy fucked up a lot of players. He really fucking did. He absolutely did. He says, can't blame fields for the anger. Damn right. You can't man. I mean, they they brought up uh, during the course of the interview. They brought up what was the phrase? The sequence of order was it that I think uh, Spiegel said, which is an interesting concept. Is you got to learn things in in a certain order, and that's why when you draft a young quarterback, there should already be an all pro line in place to do it after his rookie season to start the development of an all pro offensive line. It's just one of the dumbest things that I've seen the Chicago Bears do year after fucking year after fucking year. It, it, it irritates me that they are always out of sequence. They're never in sync. They're not building the team the right way. You bring in the GM and coach and let them select the quarterback. And then you build the offensive line immediately and, and replenish that offensive line. Always have guys in the pipeline so that if your starting left tackle goes down, you don't have to call somebody who's fucking fishing He's four years old, and he's showing up a, a week before the, the the start of the season. It's it's and the most indicting part of that process was in if you look at the overall like the tape doesn't lie, and that's not a shot at anybody. I'm just I'm not being facetious. But if you watch the games, it looked like Jason Peter was our best lineman. Mm-hmm. Jason Peters, I mean, it, it's that's so good. if the guy that was just fishing who is already uh, happy with being in retirement and fishing comes in and he's probably outperformed all your young bucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, he had some of his moments where you're like, Oh, he's not the same guy, mm-hmm. but he still played overall. I think he was the best lineman of the season. Yeah. In my opinion. I, I totally agree with you. Uh, no bad said, I'm sure gets, gave him a list of things to focus on. Well, he didn't give a veal that list. He, he gave that list to Justin Fields. But the thing is, is that, the the Bears' new head coach and coordinators, excuse me, spent a lot of time uh, this offseason basically learning what it is they want to teach the players. It's like teaching the coaches, coaching the coaches. Um, and so now you're now you're allowing your star player to be coached by someone outside of that uh, uh what do you call it? That structure that has been built at Hallis Hall. And so that's why I have a little discomfort with that. I know like when I worked in, in corporate communications and we had to, because of workloads and so forth, we had to hire somebody from the outside to do a production for us. We spent time training these guys and uh, making sure that they not only dressed the right way, but also did all the technical specs of videotaping the the way we wanted them and the archiving of the material the way we wanted them. Because if you didn't have that, then it just starts to become chaotic. Um, Hair Bear says that, says for what it's worth on some of the video that he has seen, the the delivery does look a bit faster and a little bit more efficient, less loopiness, I guess. I saw one video Hair bear that uh, attests to that. So I, I hope that it is being addressed and that as soon as we start seeing him throw in cap, that's a thing of the past because I think that's a really, really big issue with uh, 
some of the lack of success that he has. I mean, you know, Fields has to be accountable for some of the things that went wrong, right? Um, That's true, but to beat the same drum that I was pounding last week, I want to convey strongly once more that to me, the Bears have to tell him it's your gig. Right. You know, not not some Mike Glennon shit that this is your year and then week four you play your way out. But you know that he was a joke in comparison with Justin Fields with his uh, attributes. Mm-hmm. So I think Fields has to just focus on everything and, and play well and not worry about getting a hook or being traded or being benched. Just tell him, hey, man, we just gave up a first-round pick to move up to get you last season. You're the guy. So go go play. Mm-hmm. I don't want any pressure put on him making him think, if I don't do this, I don't do that, then what? I might be traded already. Like, don't even plant that seed, man. Mm-hmm. If that comes to that, like the Cade McNown situation, which we talked about last week in his second year, and he played so terribly that it was inevitable that he's probably going to be gone, then so be it. But don't start talking that shit right now. It's, we haven't even started training camp. I hear you. I hear you. Um, I love this from Nomad because you you said this very same thing to me, I think maybe during the game. Uh, Nomad writes, the Cleveland game almost felt like a sabotage on Justin just to prove Nagy right about starting Dalton. Like, And I told you so. This isn't that something that you told me while we were in Cleveland that it felt I that way? I think so. I think <laughs> I was pretty down watching. You were, I think you we were pissed were. off, yes. <laughs> I think we both were. I remember oh. when I w- we were in Chicago the following week, I was like, Okay, Aldo, you can't be to my left this week because everything went so badly last week. <laughs> Please be on my right. Like we've got to change something up. Like even though superstition is nonsense, I still get sucked into that shit during the season. Yeah, yeah. I I, uh, I arrived. Uh, you guys were were first in your seats. And then I arrived there. I noticed that the middle seat was open for me. So to, to my right was your date, and to my left was you. And I'm like, oh, this is this is cozy. <laughs> Just don't be to my left because like that disaster <laughs> last week. That's right. And, not- you know who would have thought at that time that you know because Cleveland, you know, the fans were talking shit to us. Mm-hmm. They were coming off their first playoff win. Who would have thought that when we were watching that man Baker Mayfield's done here? Mm-hmm. I mean, it just shows you how quickly things move in this in the National Football League. And I don't want Fields to be another one of those because I honestly believe if we give up on him, he's going to go somewhere and ball. Mm-hmm. I, I I believe it. I don't know. Maybe Mitch. I hope Mitch will be all, all right in Pittsburgh. I see he's, he's to even got Dwayne Haskins and and uh, the one that had his helmet ripped off, what was Mason Rudolph. Right. He brought them down and the, their back, Nigel Harris, who I like a lot, and they're all working out at Mitch's house, so that's cool. I wish him well, but I honestly think that Fields has more talent than Trubisky. So if we give up on him quickly, he'll go somewhere else and be a star. I honestly believe that. Mm-hmm. I I agree with you. Uh, I just hope that what transpired last year, the fiasco, I mean, I think this is going to go down in history as, as time sinks in, that – Allowing Matt Nagy to coach this young quarterback was the worst thing the Chicago Bears organization has done since, you know, the uh, 
the premature announcement of Dave McGinnis being the coach or, or name any other fiasco. You're much better at Bears history than I am. God, I was thinking what would be on par with that for? Yeah. Uh, if you were an anti-Cutler guy, you would say since the Cutler trade. <laughs> yes. Uh, and I, I, a lot of people would say since firing Lovey Smith. Yeah, a lot of people, including my brother. He, uh, Well, my brother was for the firing of, of Lovey Smith, and I was like, no, what, what are we going to get? You can't say that until you know what we're going to get, and look at what we got, and it was a fiasco. Um, a few more comments uh, from the chat. I love this one from Cliff Victoria because I know you're going to relate to this. Uh, he writes, it's like the, the Cleveland game. It's like the Miami game in 85. I skip it often when I'm watching the season on DVD. <laughs> Isn't that true? You're watching, yeah. you're watching like a retrospective of a, of a team's season and you just skip over the games where they looked awful, you know? <laughs> you know, a point that's often forgotten on that Monday night game is that McMahon didn't play until like the fourth quarter. And Steve Fuller will want you to know that the reason he looked so terrible in the Super Bowl shuffles because he broke his ankle at the Orange Bowl. Oh, my And goodness. that was two days later, so he's trying to dance, and he's like, it's not just because I'm white, motherfucker. Mm -hmm. I could barely stand. <laughs> so, uh, but, yeah, Jim didn't come in until I – and I can't – I cannot get Jim McMahon to follow me back. Man, what the fuck? Yeah. I keep retweeting everything they're saying, and we'll follow you. They will not follow – Jim McMahon's account will not follow me. Well, but, and, and I've got his phone number. I'm, I'm going to – I promise you, Dan, I've been putting this off. I promise you I'm going to call him this week to see if we can get him on the show. Oh, so, that'd be great. Um, Mike North is coming on Thursday to talk baseball. And so I'm going to get a pointer from him or two just to see if I can, you know, not fuck this up. I'm, I'm frankly a little nervous about calling Jim McMahon and saying, hey, Jim, I want you to be on our show, blah, 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 blah. You know, that's why we should ask Mike to. Uh, yeah. But, well, yeah. Play point guard. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I desperately want him to be on. But Jamal asked a very good question here. Uh, he says, would you have fired Matt Nagy after a playoff appearance against the Saints? Yes. Tell, tell I us thought why. he was going to be fired. Uh, and at the time, all of us here, I can't attribute to who said what first. But we all agreed his demeanor after the postseason game and that presser. It's like he knew he was coming back. Mm -hmm. And it's like he was laughing and stuff and was having a good time and having fun or whatever, despite getting your ass just kicked. They had that one play, if it, the one that was dropped in the end zone, if that touchdown happens, maybe the whole vibe of the game is different. But you barely made the playoffs. You slopped your way into the playoffs. And then you don't show up. And your guys play undisciplined, like Anthony Miller throwing a punch. And just listless and lifeless. Mm -hmm. that he should have been gone after that game. Even if Ryan Pace remained, Matt Nagy should have been gone. And for him to, you know, to be like, oh, well, we made the playoffs two out of the last three years, and then maybe it's Trubisky's fault. You know I mean? Mm -hmm. He kind of scapegoated Mitch there. I think even if Mitch goes, Nagy had to go after the Saints game. Mm -hmm. I uh, agree 100% with everything that you said. You know, there are uh, certain times in life, sports, professional careers, you name it, where somebody does something good and they immediately get attached with the a label, a label like a winner because he took us to the playoffs for the first time in so many years, 
a label as competent because he did a certain project in a really good way. But the more you spend time alongside that person, you, the real person starts to become exposed. And I think that in that season, despite the fact that they backed into the playoffs with a, an eight and eight record, it was pretty obvious that he was not a competent head coach. I think it was obvious in 2019. I really did. Yeah. I, I, but I would not have fired him after the 2019 season. Um, but you're right. You know what I would have done if I was the owner uh, is said, here, here are the things you need to work on. You know, this is what I see. Explain to me why I'm seeing that because if you don't have a good reason, then you need to change it. Just go through a list of things that that, that coach had to improve. And maybe there was a way to salvage Matt Nagy. Clearly, one of the things that I would have said in that meeting, if I was his boss, I would have said, you need to stop calling the fucking plays and become the CEO of this team on the field. Because it looks to me like you're buried in that big menu and you're not paying attention to the rest of the team. We saw that here with Mark Tressman. He lost the defense because he was so focused on improving his quarterback play and scoring points, and it ended up killing him. You know, there's just ways to have tried to get Matt Nagy corrected. Uh, it probably wouldn't have worked, And but uh, yeah, after that season against the Saints, for the reasons that you mentioned, the lack of discipline on the team, the lack of uh, – Offense scoring uh, points. It, it, I mean, it was awful. It was uh, really it, all signs. It, his demeanor after the game. Yeah, that was another I, thing. It's, go back and watch any playoff game, whether it's Lovey or, you know, or, or Mike Ditka or even, you know, uh, uh, Dick Duran. When you lose a game, like who's sitting around fucking laughing like that mm -hmm. and just acting like he just got laid at prom? Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, like, did, like if that's after the game, Ditka is either pissed off and yelling. Or he's like stoic and he's saying, guys, we have to get better. They're a better team than we are. And and I don't like it, but that's where we are. Like it would be matter of fact, or he would be the Ditka where he's yelling and ranting. It could be either one, but I would take either one of those dispositions because A, they're authentic and B, they care. Whereas Nagy just seemed like he, again, it, it was always somebody else's fault. And so he was never thinking he had to change or improve anything himself. Mm -hmm. They just can't figure out my system. My system works. And I think he was probably told he's coming back and he wasn't hiding his happiness. Mm. I love what Hair Bear writes here. It sounds like the opening line of an article. Uh, people make mistakes and people learn and everybody deserves a chance to make what they did wrong right. But Nagy just kept digging a hole because he couldn't figure out one single why well said air bear and pj goes on to say i have no faith in nagy's decisions i now question every personnel decision he has made howard trubisky white miller ridley long garasso and leno his system sucks and he can't develop players you're absolutely right about that pj now there's a couple of guys on that list that i think there's no hope for but there are some guys here that you'll wonder if there was a better coach in a better did, coach did they say Grisou? Yeah, Hieronymus Grasso. Yeah, well, he was uh, drafted during the John Fox days, though. That is true. His rookie season was John Fox's 15. last season, was it? Or is, no, uh, Fox man managed to go three and thirteen the following year. Yeah. So he he was two years under John Fox. Yeah, but I'll tell you, I can add to uh, 
uh, uh, his list there, uh, PJ's list, because there was certainly an issue with the the lack of development of players. And, you know, I'm not going to be at all surprised if Mitchell Trubisky comes out and has a better than average season because I know Mike Tomlin is smart enough to build an offense to his strengths, which is something that Matt Nagy just doesn't know or want to do because of his ego. Um, His ego is just so monumentally where he honestly thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. Yep. I mean, that's why he doesn't have to have his formations. Like uh, this time we ran the ball out, out of, you know, uh, this this particular formation, but the next time we're going to pass, and there's never anything that sets up anything. Yeah, exactly. It's just like he's playing a video game. Yeah, yep. Uh, Stephen Nagishi writes uh, that Browns game was definitely the turning point for uh, in twenty twenty one. Nagy was exposed as a fraud nationally, and he sabotaged the field. So what? Do you know, you I think disagree with that, but I didn't mean to step on you. Go no, ahead. no, please, because I, I was just going to ask you: Do you agree about whether Nagy purposely sabotage fields there but please make your point no no i i can't disagree with that part i don't know if he i mean i wouldn't surprise me you know when i was down at the time i felt that for sure Mm -hmm. but to me the turning point of the season was definitely aaron Rodgers. i own you like i i think i i know that i said on air not to like again beat my dick here but i was like this is like one of those moments either that brings the team together or they're going to go on a big losing streak. Yep, you said that. And that's that's what they did. Like mm-hmm. it was to me that was the turning point because they were in that game too. Mm-hmm. And just couldn't get the hell they led. Mm-hmm. And like so many other games they couldn't hold on to the lead and they I think they had uh, again I was listening to that game in a car. I was going to watch it uh, I was going to slip not that day too, but I was going to watch it that night and not know the score, you know, and just watch it as if it were live, but in the car that day, I was stuck in some kind of road work or something for like an hour and we weren't moving. And I was like, I can't fucking take it. Mm-hmm. And I turned on the game and was listening. And I think the Bears had scored, right? Weren't the Bears in the lead before that possession? They were. Where Rodgers right. went down and ran into the end zone in that corner and then said that he owned us. Mm-hmm. Yes. So yeah, I think to me, that's the turning point, not being able to get the W there and for him to shit all over us mm-hmm. and us like poor, pitiful giants unable to do anything about it right and you know it, it has been reported that nagy was much more emotional in front of the players and and uh but we we as fans needed to see some of that emotion too we needed to see him pissed off we needed to see him you know uh issue a verbal threat to aaron Rodgers. he comes back to soldier field and he does that again uh, uh he better watch his back you know something like that uh because you need to get the fans on your side. And he never did that. You know, he, he was, <laughs> he was much more focused on getting his thoughts out. That's why they, he would be asked a question and it would be a four minute response. It's like, dude, where are your fucking communication skills? You know, I mean, you're just making everything worse for yourself. But I, he was trying to, to go the long way to pre- to preclude himself from actually answering the question, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was trying to bury you in <laughs> insignificant details. That's right. Um, uh, Could you imagine, though, if like Randy Wright or Lynn Dickey had tried that shit with Ditka? <laughs> I mean, it just would, even if like, you know, Ditka lost his first couple of games to Green Bay and then owned them, mm-hmm. you know, to steal the word from Rodgers. But even if they were flip flopped, 
could you imagine someone saying that with Mike Ditka as the Bears coach? And he and and then listen to his presser after the game. Yeah. Would what have. would have that what would have happened? I mean, we all know he would have fucking exploded. And he was at that point of his life in his 40s, or he probably would have threatened the guy to beat him up. You know? <laughs> yeah, Mike Ditka would have for for all of the faults that I've saw in Mike Ditka, there was something that he was brilliant at, and that was bringing a team together to fight together, put that chip on your shoulder. Now, after the Super Bowl, he lost that ability with that strike shortened season uh, when he he. He alienated the stars of the team, the 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 real team, by being so the supportive of the spare bears. Yeah, that was that was really bad. I want to get to some more thoughts uh, from people on that Ron Veal uh, sound. This is Hair Bear saying, "Well, yeah, how's the young quarterback supposed to play when his own head coach is in his head and in a bad way?" Yeah, that that is uh, uh, true, Hair Bear. You know. Uh, Fields complained, not complained, but he he made it clear that he liked it when the offensive coordinator would call the plays because Nagy was too excitable, you know, and he's watching over everything and he would be yelling the plays in and so forth. And that's not Fields' style. Fields is is acid jazz. You know, he has he he's he he. Uh, uh, improvises. He uses old ways of things. He's got a much more mellow yet tough fight in him. And uh, Nagy is a disruptor of that. He's, it's just not a good fit. And that's one of the things that I'm hoping Luke Getze and, and Fields are going to form this cohesion, you know, like jazz artists where, you know, he, well, he's going to go here, he, even though this is all improvised and so forth. And the, the coach, I know what he's going to call here because he's seen the same thing I'm seeing and so forth. That never happened with Nagy and Fields and never happened with Nagy and Trubisky. And so I'm hoping we'll see some of that uh, with this new coaching staff. Somebody in the chat room, I, I forgot to star it, said one of the things, I think it was Laz. Laz says one of the things I'm most excited about this upcoming season is to see how this new coaching staff works. I'm with you, Laz, because that is the number one key thing. We know we're not going to have a roster that's ready to win, but we could have a roster that is ready to learn and go out there and execute to the best of their abilities. So if I, I could add real quick. Please do to like if i were listening to this right now and i was in the chat room this is what i would throw in there okay what you were saying a moment ago which again i agree with but and i, I can't present this to you as a fact because i don't know i'm not in the mind of justin fields but i'll present it as my opinion and see what you think i i strongly believe if you're justin fields you had so much national uh, fanfare when the bears drafted you everyone was happy they saw what you did at ohio state so you're you're the guy, you're the prom king to keep going back to that analogy of the prom. Mm -hmm. You're the fucking big guy. You got the big dick on campus. This fucking guy is the one I got to listen to. <laughs> you can't tell me at some point during that season that fields to use another cliche about the emperor not wearing clothes, or maybe he saw the wizard of Oz. He saw behind the curtain yeah. and saw this fucking guy doesn't have it. Yeah. So it's gotta be hard when you're trying to figure things out anyway, right? and you know there's no protection, mm -hmm. and you're a rookie, and you're going to have natural nerves, and you know your coach is incompetent. Mm -hmm. There's no way that Justin Fields didn't think that, in my opinion. Yep. 
you think that if we had Ron Veal over for a couple of drinks and got him to open up, he would reveal some of the things that Justin Fields was thinking about this incompetent head coach. There's no doubt in my mind that he knows a lot more than he shared in that interview, as and as you said earlier in the show, Dan, because you know he's being professional and trying to, you know, he he, he didn't want to speak out of turn, and hopefully, the Bears management doesn't believe that he already did with what he did share. But uh, yeah, I'm sure Justin was terribly, terribly upset, and uh, and Justin seems to me like the type of guy who is going to say all the right things as a leader, but inside he's thinking for himself. He is not going to just follow along. And one of the things that I wrote down in my notes is I hope that Justin is much more vocal this year with his coaching staff and really, really makes it known. Listen, this is what I want to run. This is what's going to work. And, um, you know, we heard back in Mitchell Trubisky's last year here, uh, Bill Lazor, the offensive coordinator, saying that Trubisky had not earned that right to say those things. And when they finally did later in the season, Mitch probably played some of his better football ever. Here yeah, in to Chicago. me, Mitch earned that when he beat Aaron Rodgers at the game you attended yeah. uh, and won the division mm-hmm. uh, at Soldier Field when the Bears had not beaten Green Bay in Chicago since 2010, eight years later. Mitch, I mean, Mitch threw a touchdown uh, to Trey Burton. I mean, they, he was throwing the ball. They, they they won the game. And, of course, Eddie Jackson's never been the same after that an injury off the interception. But the point being, I think Mitch earned a lot of respect that day with that win, beating Aaron Rodgers. To me, if I'm Matt Nagy going into 19, instead of trying to throw, you know, 102 or whatever he was saying on him, I would have listened a lot to Mitch. Mm-hmm. In that regard, he won you a division title, bro. Exactly. I mean, I know you're going to credit most of that to the defense, but still, he was driving the car. Mm-hmm. Plus, it's the right thing to do. You want to play to your players' strengths. You want to make them feel as, as comfortable as possible. So if he's saying, "I, you know, I really would like to do some more rollouts, don't fucking respond by that. Well, you're not. You haven't earned the right to roll out on my offense. Fuck that. <laughs> Stephen Me says, with this hot garbage Bears team of nobodies, we will be executed by the rest of the NFL team's abilities. Um, Stephen, so respond to this question. I'll ask Dan the same question. Um, yeah, I suppose they're going to win just a handful of games this season. Now, you know, I hate to make predictions before the roster is fully set, but yeah, all indications are that they are planning for a big in, uh, injection of talent in the 2023 season. They've got to clean out all the garbage and fix all the salary cap issues and blah, blah, blah. But is there anything, Stephen, that the Bears can do, despite perhaps they're having this losing record? Is there anything they, they can do that will give you hope for the future? And I'll ask you, Dan, that question. I'll go back to Ditka again. And I wasn't even watching the games yet. But because I didn't start around until 87 to where I knew everything that was going on and such. But if you go back and look at it now, and you can speak on this better than me because, again, I was two. But if you look <laughs> at the 82 season – you know, the Bears didn't make the playoffs. There's only nine games, and they had extended playoff format that year. So a couple more wins, and the Bears would have made it, but they didn't. And they, they had a shitty record that year. But it's it's to me, it's obvious you had the right guy. You had the right guy. I know you, you said that 
he almost got fired. He broke his hand against the Colts in 83 at the locker. And he had to have people save his ass and, you know, to keep him from being fired before 84. But right. to me, it's obvious when you're watching that team, you've got the right coach. Mm -hmm. So even if, you know, the team isn't winning, at least you have a foundation mm -hmm. that's in place that you can build around. And hopefully this season we can say, all right, Matt Eberflus is so much better than Matt Nagy. And we've got a quarterback. And there you go. We got us a coach. We got us a quarterback. Uh, and and let's go. Let's build everything else around him now. So even if you don't make the playoffs, you don't win X amount of games, I'm not I'm not ready to concede to that point yet. I'm like Al Gore in 2000 here. Fuck no, I'm not I'm not conceding. Uh, but I will say to you, uh, that if that happens, I still think hopefully at the end of the season, we can say we have the right coach, the right quarterback, and the sky's the limit. Yeah, good points. Uh, Nomad uh, agrees with you. He says, you you guys will be surprised to see what 53 hungry guys can do when they're all together. And, bear truth, and all the way from Matt Nagy. Yeah, right. Uh, and Bear Truth adds to that, you play fundamental ball, play fast with a solid quarterback in a running game. You have a shot not only on Sunday, but a shot at the playoffs. The thing that that concerns me is, you know, football, probably more than any of the other team sports, you really need that cohesion with players, like particularly like at the offensive and defensive line. You know, you got to have good communication with those guys. You want guys who know what to do, when to do it, and so forth. And the Bears are just basically at, at, are starting with new guys almost everywhere and so that makes it hard harder plus you know back in Ditka's days they were still playing a, an old-fashioned brand of football it was it was punch you in the face football I mean and nothing exemplified that more than the Bears Packers games where there was actual punches to people's face faces but in, in today's NFL it has changed so dramatically it's much more ballet than boxing and, you know, you can't win on just aggression and having a chip on your shoulder. The uh, Every head coach is trying to take advantage of the rule changes that allow for easier passing, wide receivers aren't being touched downfield, and so forth. So, um, so that's complicated things a little bit. You know, I don't think Mike Ditka could coach in today's NFL with success by threatening right, right, players. Well, I was just using that as a mic. Let me look at another one, another team, a Please. more recent team. Then. Okay. Okay. So coming off 2000, the Bears are 5-11. and 11. Again, is Jerron even going to keep his job? The next season, it's not like that team had been together that much. Mm -hmm. You have a, a dynamic young player, a linebacker, Erlacher, and that you could say that's Roquan now, mm -hmm. or we'd like to think that that's Roquan. He can do the same things that Erlacher was doing back then. They they put some some fat guys in front of him, and suddenly the fullback couldn't get to him. And now the defense is playing great. They didn't have a. I mean, they had Jim Miller and Shane Matthews. Now look, Shane won us some some big games that year against San Francisco and Cleveland and those comebacks. Mm -hmm. So I'm not taking anything away from Shane, or even Jim Miller, uh, but they're not on paper as good as fields. And I know Marty Booker had a, uh, a postseason, or I'm sorry, a pro bowl season that year, but coming after 2000, we didn't know who Marty Booker was. I mean, we did, we knew his name, but we didn't know he was going to be a guy that would jump to 1200 yards receiving or whatever Marty had in 2001. So what I'm saying to you is right now, we've got what I think is a better quarterback than that team. 
We've got what I think is a better running back than that team, and I loved Anthony Thomas. Mm -hmm. uh, but we didn't think we had any wide receivers then either, and someone emerged. Mm -hmm. So maybe somebody we have emerges. And then you, you'd sign these two guys up front. You got Robert Quinn. You know, you got 99 coming out, maybe getting some sacks for us. Mm -hmm. You got Roquan as a linebacker. I mean, maybe the team comes together as, as one of those blue-collar, overachieving kind of teams. Not to say you're necessarily winning Super Bowl 57, but maybe you're not the team that's 3-13. and 13. I mean, for the last couple of years, we've been picked to almost finish dead last by everybody. Maybe this is the year where it goes the other way. They say, well, and maybe they're picked last, but they, maybe they, they maybe they finish second. Mm -hmm. Maybe they finish first. I mean, it, it, it can't be down all the time. It just can't be. And I know Detroit probably says the same thing, and it has <laughs> been for them. But remember how bad Tampa Bay was for decades. And even Tampa's won two Super Bowls now. Mm -hmm. Remember, they were the laughing stock of the league. Let's not forget that. So – the Bears can turn this around. I, I, I really believe it. Why not us? Yeah. You think this coaching staff is entering the game? I get if the GM's thinking, I know we may not win a lot of games this year because my overall, uh, my plan, my tactic to use is to blow up this fucking roster. Mm -hmm. Okay, I get that. But you can't tell me the coaching staff is going into it thinking, oh, we're not going to win. They're going to be like, somehow we're going to manage this shit and we're going to win. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? There's no coach in the league that just thinks, oh, we can't win. We're not going to win. Mm -hmm. you know, right? Isn't that your job to, to somehow find a way? Absolutely. Absolutely. No, you're making really, really good points. And a lot of people in the chat room are supporting what you're saying. Uh, Bear Truth 9 is saying, yeah, we can do it. Uh, so there's a lot of optimism here in the in the chat room. And I hate to sound like a pessimist. Um, I just have gotten to the point as a Bears fan where I try to, every year, you know, I, I look into it as, yeah, we can go 17 and 0. Why not? Why well, I know better not? than that. <laughs> yeah, I'm an idiot. <laughs> but really, I always look at it like, why should we attach an L to this game. Why can't we just go out there every game and play like it's the Super Bowl? You can then go 17 and oh, that's my mentality. That's if I was the coach, I would say that at the beginning of the year and say, okay, we'll never talk about that again because we're going to focus on our first Super Bowl game. That's week one and go at it that way. And I, I believe that that can and will eventually happen. Almost happened with the New England Patriots. Uh, thank you, New York Giants. Um, so I, well, look I, at new England. I know that they got Brady out of nowhere, but in 2000, they were five and 11. Yeah. The yeah. next year they won the super bowl. The 1998 Rams yeah, are four and 12 and signed Trent green in the off season. Cause green had put up some stats with Washington and he got hurt in the preseason and they had nobody else. So they put in this guy. No one's ever heard of named Kurt Warner. And they won the fucking Super Bowl. He was a league MVP, Super Bowl MVP, three years after stocking groceries. Mm -hmm. So I know that that's an aberration. That doesn't happen. But what I'm saying is it has happened. Yeah. I'm not saying we're going to win the Super Bowl, but I'm just saying it doesn't mean that this is a death sentence. We we haven't been told that we have testicular cancer here, you know? <laughs> I think our cancer was benign, and we removed it, and that was Matt Nagy. <laughs> I love it. I love I it. I honestly think we've got a shot at this thing. But if I were, if I had anything to do with it, and I'm just a nobody, I'm a fucking nobody. 
But if I had one thing that I, like if I could actually say something that a player could hear and most of the players, as you know, aren't even going to be on the bears roster from last season or the year before on this this particular roster. But I would start out by saying kind of like lovey did dude. this fan base hates the green Bay Packers. They hate the Packers. They've been rubbing it in the, this these guys' face for 20 years, 30 mm-hmm. years now. Mm-hmm. Show them the Aaron Rodgers thing from last season. Mm-hmm. You know, this is what you start with right now. That's our goal. Find a way to beat those fucks. You sweep them, and then suddenly you got people backing you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that's a small goal. Like Lovey said, like, we're going to beat Green Bay. Goal two is when we win the division. Mm-hmm. You know, goal three is we win the NFC Championship. Goal four is Super Bowl. I mean, that's something like that, you know? Like, but you start out by beating your fucking and not and like that's one thing Mark Tressman said that annoyed me. That every game is its own new game and it none of them have a special importance. Yeah. Fuck that. Yeah. First off, all six division games must matter more because they do. Mm-hmm. But you have to you have to instill to these guys what this means to everybody mm-hmm. the ownership the ownership the fucking city the players everyone that doesn't live in the city that's there they hate this team mm-hmm. you and you want you want the you want the people showing up and cheering well you beat the team in green and yellow and they'll the, the it's like field of dreams remember they kept saying if you build it they'll come mm-hmm. well, there you go you beat green bay you're gonna have a fan base fired up love it Love it. Uh, by the way, Laz says you are not a nobody, Dan McMahon. Well, I'm, congratulations, all, Dan McMahon. Ooh. Well, we're all we're all just fans, and I know everyone looks at us as meatheads, is what I'm saying. No, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying, but I think Laz was making reference to the fact that you won. I think now the fifth time in the last six years. Six, six out of seven. Six out of seven. Look at and that. That's here in West Virginia alone. I've won in Virginia the last two years. So too, tell people so. what you won because not everybody knows what we're talking about. All right, the the one I'm holding my hand now says excellence in broadcasting from the West Virginia Broadcasters Association, 2022 Best Sportscast ranked mm-hmm. presented to me. And let me just give give context of this. And this is where I will beat my dick if you want me to like, be happy or arrogant or something. <laughs> oh. The the one year that I lost, because uh-huh. I started the first time I entered was 2016 because it was kind of like, oh, I'll never win. You know what? Why would I? You know, but fuck it. Okay, I'll enter something, and then holy shit, I won. You know, but the one year that I lost, I started in 16. I won in 16, 17, 18, 20, 21, and 22, and I lost in 19. The guy I lost to in 2019's name's Kyle Wiggs. He works for the company that broadcasts the West Virginia Mountaineer games. Mm -hmm. So he's got fucking interns. He's got a staff. He's got a professional broadcast. I know that West Virginia isn't, you know, a team that's necessarily going to win the national championship, but they're in the big 12. So, you know, they have a big broadcast. Mm -hmm. I'm beating the guy with the fucking big 12. And I'm just a dude from bumfuck nowhere by myself on a microphone. That's it. I mean, I have no staff. I have nobody helping me. I'm doing my own goddamn research and my own stuff and mixing my own shit and submitting it. And I'm beating them. Outstanding. So that makes me happy. Are you turned on right now? No, but I did get late numerous times over the weekend. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Can you share anything with us? Anything at all? 
Yeah, I, I guess I'll tell you. I'll break some news for you. I have breaking news now. I guess you can say I'm in a relationship. Look at you. So uh, how good yeah, is she? Yeah, so uh, she and I, uh, she stayed, uh, came over Sunday, you know, and mm -hmm. she left today. And needless to say, I was active. Damn. So I can tell when you're getting laid because you don't text me at night. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did. I did uh, well. Um, you did well. <laughs> I did well. Good for you, man. I still got to manage to watch the Lakers show and and the Uber one, though. Yeah, we'll talk about that momentarily. But good for you. And uh, you know, everybody in the uh, chat room starts to uh, get the aroused when you share your your stories. Uh, well, but, I can't really be more specific on these because she's yeah. technically a girlfriend now. Yeah, so absolutely. I got to be respectful of her well wishes and her thoughts and, and those kind of things. And, and it, it is kind of nervous, you know, in the sense that, you know, when you come off your marriage and stuff, which is a couple of years ago now, and I've had girlfriends since then, but I don't know. It's just, I, I avoided any kind of commitment for so long. You know, just because I just didn't feel like it could work with anybody or whatever. So to me, it's a big step. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean I'm getting married or anything crazy, but it's still a big step. And yeah. so far, so good. Well, and I, you know, you and I have talked personally. I know how important it is for you, you know, to want to share your life. And, you know, you're still young enough to have a family. Who knows what will happen? But the key Well, she can't have kids anymore. She already had two kids. She's in her 40s. She's a little bit older than me. Okay. She's born in 79, mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, she loves the same kind of music that I do and, and loves concerts and, you know, wants to go to all of them, that kind of stuff. So, awesome. It, yeah, in that regard, it's um, maybe uh, I, I kind of thought when the stuff happened with my ex-wife, you know, whether it's the miscarriage and things like that, maybe that was my last opportunity at that. And I, I've kind of come to grips with that back then. You know, because I kind of felt like I, I the, the game sort of passed me by. I mean, I know biologically I could produce, you know, kids and stuff, mm -hmm. but maybe I'm too, maybe that game has already left the, you know, the the bulls are on the road trip now. The circus is in town at the, <laughs> the United Center, and they're out, they're out west. <laughs> that was a weird segue. <laughs> Well, you know, they have that trip every November, isn't it? November when the Bulls have like six or seven road games out, the Bulls out and, west because and the of that Blackhawks. fucking circus. Yeah, and the Blackhawks. They play at the stay, same stadium, so they, uh, yeah, they vamoosh for, for two weeks or that's, so. That's been a while now, right? Doesn't oh, that happen every year? Yeah, it's it's happened since the days when they played at the old Chicago Stadium when I was a kid. I, I, uh, the, the owners of the arena always had those dates booked for the circus. Now, I... Does that happen now, though? Because isn't the circus out of uh, Barnum and Bailey is defunct now? Fuck it, I don't care. <laughs> anyway, uh, again, my analogy was that I don't think there was any any chance for fertilization mm -hmm. at this juncture of my life because I don't relate well to younger women at all. Mm -hmm. I'm not the kind of guy that can, you know, I can't be Marilyn Manson going after Evan Rachel Wood. That's just not who I am. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, there are people in the chat room who are uh, lamenting that you and Brandy are no longer together, but I, I think you guys I, I saw still... Brandy on Friday. Yeah, I, you sent me a picture. You guys were at the same concert. Yeah, yeah. Brandy uh, Brandy was, you know, uh, I I was hoping her boyfriend would be there but so there couldn't be any accusation. Because, you know, some, some guys, I'm not trying to say her guys like this at all, but some guys just get so fucking, like, like pussy or soreness or something over – 
you can't have any interactions with anyone you've ever had sex with before, uh, which is which is fucking stupid. It really is. Yeah. So, and if this was the flip side, I I wouldn't care if the lady I'm dating is in some sort of scenario with an ex boyfriend or ex husband or whatever. It doesn't mean that they're fucking now. Mm-hmm. And if you can't trust them, then why are you with them? Right. Exactly. So, but yeah, she was at the show. The guy didn't come. I was hoping he would, but you know, it was cool to see her. And uh, I'd like to think that she's still my friend for sure. Mm-hmm. People are uh, asking, or I shouldn't say people, only one person. Nomad says, hey, can we talk some more bears? And, and then Don Burr is blessed. What are you going to talk about? Dakota Dossier? <laughs> Funny. All right. I, but there were some uh, more comments in the chat room uh, that I'd like to share. Sure. Back when we were talking, when, when you were talking about the Aaron Rodgers, you know, uh, uh, affair at Soldier Field. Leo said, I wonder if Olin Krutz would have flipped Rogers off or punched him. And but I, I I saved that because I wonder, do you think there should be somebody in the team who would have gotten up in Aaron Rodgers' face, even at the, the the risk of facing a suspension, and told him, you know, go fuck yourself? That yeah, that in on in theory, that is something you would like. And Olin embodies that thing, that intangible quality that I was saying that Ditka had. Not saying that they had to be assholes and want to start fights uh, because Olin's got that reputation. But you need to have some kind of team leader. And maybe we do have that in Jenkins because, like you saw, he defended Fields real quickly against Minnesota that has some fire that says, fuck it, man. Like, I think Kyle Long would have. Mm-hmm. And if Kyle were still there and, you know, healthy – before his injuries, I think he's the kind of guy that definitely would have taken a bullet for Jay Cutler and and, and maybe told you know Rodgers to go fuck himself. So, yeah, I wish that we had somebody on the team right now. And if I asked you to identify somebody on the – as far as we know, who was on the roster at this point, is anyone going to say anything? I can't think of anybody. Yeah, I, I can't either. And, you know, you always want your team to maintain – their control over the situation, but there are times where you definitely have to push back. And even if it's something that somebody, a player is making, you know, uh, gestures to the fans or telling the fans, you know, I own you, you know, I, I think that's even more of a reason to stand up to somebody like that and to show that person, listen, don't come into my fucking house and do that. Do not do yeah, that. Yeah, Javon Wims would still be on the team if he'd have punched Rodgers instead. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> well, but... or, An- or Anthony Miller, if that had been like their first punch was against Rodgers at that moment. I own you, own you. Oh, fuck. You know? <laughs> Matthew Fucisi says, nothing wrong with having a couple of enforcers on the team. Totally agree with you, man. You need that. You need the bodyguards you know, to protect your superstars. And in this case protect the fans. I mean, I I hope that every player that suits up in a Chicago Bears jersey is fully aware of the embarrassment and and the torture we have been through the last better part of what, 15, 20 years? 30 years. 30 years. Oh, jeez. Favre took over in 1992 when Don Mikowski got hurt. 1992, it's 2022. So we're looking at a 30-year run with the exception of a couple of years with Lovey, 05, 06, 07. 
you know, and and he split in 2010. But just about all those other years, overwhelmingly, we were swept. Mm-hmm. <laughs> L4, he won. Yeah, he split as well because he won in Green Bay in week two. But yeah, for the most part, though, you're talking about Mwani. Mwani won in 93 and then was swept in 94, 95, 96, 97, 98. And then Jerron won one in 99, but was swept in 2000. And 13 and 3 in 01, but guess what? Swept by Green Bay. Mm-hmm. Swept in 02. Swept in 03. And losing your first game at the new Soldier Field to Green Bay. And you look at that, all those all those sweeps, all those times you're losing at home, too, because Favre and Rodgers have both yep. owned the Bears at Soldier Field. Yep. So all you got a generation of Bears fans that have experienced nothing but humiliation to this team. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're so arrogant about it. Oh, it's not even a rivalry. Minnesota is our rival now. Well, fuck you, man. Maybe that's true. I don't like to hear it. That's why I say fuck you. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, hope the, hopefully the, the new Bears can learn, man, that what it means to everybody, the city, the team, like I said, the, even the owners, man, the McCaskies hate Green Bay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I know a lot of people don't like George or, or even the, uh, the, you know, his mother, but they hate the Packers. And for me, that's, I want to rally around them because I hate them too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, you know, and, and, and what bugs me is that I want to build beat teams. I want my team to beat another team when they're at their best. And that just hasn't happened. And so, you know, hey, I'll take it however it comes, but it's going to feel a little less satisfying that we are going to eventually overtake the Green Bay Packers because of Aaron Rodgers' uh, latter part of his career. He's not as effective as before because the Packers have mismanaged their team and have not given them weapons. You know, there's always going to be those excuses. I want, you know, I can't of course, turn back time, but I, this season for sure, man, I want at, at, at least that home victory against the Green Bay Packers so that we issue them a, a warning that we're coming. We're coming for the crown, and we're going to take it. And you guys may win the NFC North this year, but in 2023, 2024, 2025, we're going to fucking take it. And I would love it if we could, you know, take it this year. And so you you and a lot of other people in the chat room have inspired me to be a little bit more optimistic about what could potentially happen, uh, but I'm not going to bet hey, out. Hey, and let me add to that. Let me add to that, to your optimism, to everything you just said. Mm-hmm. One man started both of those games and knows how it feels. Justin Fields played both of the Packer games. So he had his face rubbed in shit, too. He knows he wasn't. That, those weren't Andy Dalton games. Those were Fields games. That's so true. I mean, so he he knows, man. This this team, man, they make make us look bad all the time. They fuck us up. Mm-hmm. So he knows what it's like to be swept by them. So maybe that's who instills or uh, instills leadership and conveys that embarrassment to the new Bears. Mm-hmm. We've really got to beat this team, man. We really. This is our first goal. Uh, Foster Cover says they should watch the new players. All of the players in the Bears should watch Rodgers. I own you uh, uh, before every game. And and I agree with that. One of the things that I think good coaches do is they fire up um, 
their teams in different ways and during film studies which can get kind of boring you splice in stuff from movies and tv shows and and all sorts of places that's a clip that you should be showing to your defense not just before a, a packer bears packer game but throughout the season really get them fired up really get them to understand where this city is where bears fandom is how upset and disappointed that we are and that we're going to be quick to boo and if you if you don't believe that ask Eddie Jackson sitting there in the back row <laughs> he'll tell you that we're quick to boo because we fucking have had it we 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 demand excellence and we are due excellence because our support means something and all of these fucking hats and T-shirts and all this shit that we buy, it means something. Fucking, I don't know anybody in the world that has spent more money on Bears paraphernalia, Bears jerseys and stuff than Dan Aguirre. I mean, it means something to him. And and well, so, a, yeah, it does. And but to give a shout out to Phil, mm-hmm. Atoshin, he says he wore he wears Bears gear every day too. So I wanted to give Phil a shout out in that regard. But yeah, well, I wear Bears stuff. He just he, about every day. Phil, <laughs> I mean, Phil. there's sometimes I'll slip in a, a rock band shirt or something, but yeah, I've I've got bears blankets and bears socks and bears fucking shower curtains and shower, everything. Shower curtains. <laughs> I got the bears logo on my the uh, shower curtain. Yeah. I took a lot of shit from my uh, ex wife about it too. Yeah, I don't blame her. I mean, come on, man. It's a shower curtain. <laughs> She said I ruined the theme of the bathroom. I was like, what the fuck was the theme? She's like, you should have asked me before you put this on. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Well, that reminds me of Phil shared with us on one of the old 100 Proof shows that at his wedding, he had all of the tables were numbered after Bears players. So that's great. You'll be sitting at the Dan Hampton table, table number 99. And I, I just thought, yeah, you know, that is cool. But I, I hope his wife was okay with that. Because if I were to mention that to my wife, she would say, get the fuck out of here. I could see that from Mrs. Gundia. <laughs> yeah, she, she wouldn't stand for that. If, if, if you want to wear Bears underwear under your tux, then that's fine. But you're not going to do that at my wedding. <laughs> Right. <laughs> um, let's see. I, there were a couple of other comments that I saved and I want to address. Um, oh, I love this from Cliff Victoria. He says, we signed a fullback, <laughs> a fullback, and we are gearing up to play power gap offense like the Niners. That's pretty obvious to me. And that makes me feel fucking happy. If we can, yeah. if we can run the ball for 150 yards every game, win or lose, just they have a commitment to the run and 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 maybe 150 might be too low because you got to take into account what uh uh, justin fields can do running the ball but yeah having this fullback does and then that safety that we signed crookshank you know he's a hard-hitting guy so maybe it is a little bit more of uh you know we're going to turn the clock back uh, a little bit with our offense maybe we can be the 1990 bears yeah you know, the, the, the latter half of Ditka's run, I mean, it's still one of those big what-ifs, but what if Jim Harbaugh would have, you know, played the way he did in Indianapolis here? Maybe he could have mm-hmm. if he had more time to develop. But the biggest part, the thing you could take for granted, except for injuries, because Neil Anderson and Brad Muster both had a share of injuries mm-hmm. uh, seemingly every year. But if they were healthy, 
you knew that Muster and Anderson were going to get 150 to 200 yards rushing combined. Mm -hmm. They were coming at you. And, and they were still winning the division for the most part. I mean, they weren't dominant, but they had a fucking running game. And if they'd have stayed healthy, who knows if maybe they could have won a championship with that team. Right. So they still had the defense in place for the most part, minus the linebackers, uh, with Wilbur gone and uh, and uh, Otis Wilson gone. Mm-hmm. So maybe that can be our thing. I don't think we're ever going to have a fullback like Muster, who's, who's essentially a halfback, playing the position again. But, again, maybe David Montgomery and, and the other back that we signed. Uh, what's the kid's name from Tennessee? Um. And, and and our and our guy from Virginia Tech, a combination of all three, yeah. maybe they can rack up, you know, fifteen hundred yards this season. Yeah, I, I'm sorry that I'm forgetting that running back from Tennessee because uh, I looked at a little bit of tape. That that kid's got some skills, man. He's got speed. Uh, he could he could you know, definitely uh, if one of the top running backs on the team uh, gets injured, he can definitely go in and there. And don't sleep on fields. And don't sleep on fields. Absolutely. Evans. He can run the ball, and yeah. then it, I'm sure the the new offense will will have waggles and and rollouts and play action mm-hmm. and things to help Fields too, and to disguise the offense because they're going to be running the ball. So, oh man, oh we thought it was a run, but oh shit, he's throwing the ball downfield to Mooney first mm-hmm. down. Yep, exactly. I think this team's going to be better than last year. At the very least, I'm I'm fairly certain it's going to be more enjoyable for us to watch. I hope so i'm not gonna say it's so but yeah i mean how can it get any worse right <laughs> how can it get any the only thing it could get worse is if fields would get hurt and, and you know it'd be like the year rex got hurt and we had chad hutchinson and jonathan quinn and that shit show something like that to where you have like just a horrible injury that i do not want to manifest but if, if uh fields is healthy i don't know how it could be if he's playing we got a, a, a coaching staff now that gives a fuck, and not to say they don't give a, but a, a competency, at least I hope. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it can't get any worse than last year or the year before, for that matter, mm-hmm. or the year before that. Yeah, you had all that talent there, and the biggest what if now is if what if Vic would have been the coach instead of Nagy? Maybe they do win the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Jay Sanders says, "Who the fuck?" is our number one receiver. Pringle, Jay, I, I think it could be Darnell Mooney. I really do. I could, and it could be that the team doesn't have a number one receiver, that the ball What if gonna... St. Brown comes out of nowhere? The yeah. dude in Green Bay obviously vouched for him. That, exactly. I mean, the like guy's Marty Booker came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh. I mean, may, maybe St. Brown shows out. I mean, who knows? I mean, we, we don't have to know who the number one wide receiver is on April 5th. Well, and, and and again, you know, first of all, the connection that Fields is developing with Mooney immediately says to me that Mooney can catch even 15 to 25 more passes this season, which will get him close to 100. Um, and maybe we can have him run routes downfield and not just laterally. Yes. Two yards out. I mean, they were going to get him killed, that coaching staff. Yes. And, you know, and then the other point is who's to say that you really need to have a number one. You could have one and one, one A and one B, uh, because I, I do believe Pringle is the one bear. Well, I'll put it this way. Pringle right now is the roster's constructor. He's the one guy I want to see outside of Justin Fields play this season, because I, I really believe that this guy could 
be in for a 60 to 80 catch season with multiple touchdowns. Guy's got some talent, super talent. And he was buried, uh, you know, with that very talented wide receiver group that Kansas City have had. Um, I don't think that they, you know, when Pringle was not re-signed by the Chiefs, they still had Tariq Hill. And I don't think that they had any intention of trading Tariq Hill. I can't believe that trade. All they got back. It's just crazy. What are the Dolphins doing? The Dolphins? They've got an awkward left-handed quarterback to throw him the ball, not Patrick Mahomes. I think that they are trying to give uh, two. They gave up way too goddamn much to get him. I mean, Patrick Mahomes made Tyreek Hill. I'm sorry. Dude's a fifth-round pick. I'm glad he got his money, and he's explosive. He's not going to put up those stats in Miami, though. Mm-hmm. No way. No way. We're going to look at this in four years, and he's going to be on another team. Mm. Well, uh, Cliff Victoria agrees with you. Do- uh, Dolphins are idiots, he writes. I don't know. I, I, I think that there are a lot – you know, it's a copycat league. So uh, a league – so every uh, – not every team, but a lot of teams are taking – trying to recreate what the Rams have recreated, you know? And a lot of teams try to do the 46 after the Bears. <laughs> That's right. I mean, work. so it, it doesn't work, man. Yeah. Uh, Foster agrees with you. He says, uh, Chiefs burned them. Dan, you are correct. Um, So I, I, I think that the passing game, again, it all gets back to protecting this quarterback. You know, you got to focus in on the offensive line. And there have been a lot of comments in the chat room about – the uh, uh, Gabriel Talks football episode today, he reviewed about 15 offensive linemen, Dan, and I would say he had positive remarks about all of them with the exception of maybe two or three. So that means – I know he doesn't like Sam Mustafer. He doesn't he, – he thinks it's time for Sam Mustafer to go. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, but the depth in this offensive line is so incredible that – you know, just like the Kansas City Chiefs went through their offensive line transformation after they got embarrassed in the Super Bowl, it could happen with the Chicago Bears by just acquiring some young talent. Now, I don't think that, you know, unfortunately, because we're drafting in the second, uh, two picks in the second round and one in the third, those are the, the big major picks here. I don't think you're going to immediately see great offensive line improvements. But as the season goes on, if, if there's an offensive line rookie, a lineman rookie in that lineup, you're gonna go, you're gonna see somebody who you're gonna say this guy is gonna be really good uh, if if the Bears don't screw this up. So I'm really I, really I, hopeful of that. I liked hearing in the the interview the the drop that you played mm-hmm. that uh, Cole Komet was working out with them too mm. because they didn't seem to have any chemistry at all. Mm-hmm. And as you know, I've been down on Cole, so I would love for Cole to come out and have a, a, the kind of year that. Everyone who's been rejecting my opinion, I want them to prove, like, oh, man, you were right. Mm-hmm. I hope that this guy comes. I've been calling him a bust. Mm-hmm. So I would love for Komet to suddenly be, like, Fields is like safety, you know, like, all right, it's third and six, and you're not the primary receiver, but fuck, I'll come to you. I know you're going to catch it. Mm-hmm. I'd love for him to be that guy. So for them working out, that made me happy to hear that, yep. thinking that maybe uh, they can work on their chemistry that way. Yeah, uh, Komet's entering his third season with the team. He's only 23 years old. Isn't that amazing? Um, He was targeted twice as much last season as he was the previous season. In his rookie season, he was targeted 44 times. 
Last season, he was targeted 93 times, caught 60 passes for 612 yards, about an average of a little over 10 yards per reception. He had zero touchdowns last season, and that's very disappointing. He had two in his rookie season, so we've got to unlock that. Plus, the other thing that's important to mention, um, Jesper Horstead has been Yeah, signed. he was re-signed. That's right. And, he's and that guy, guy. He caught uh, Fields' first touchdown. Yep. I reached out to him. He's, he was a guest on Underproof before. I reached out to him to see if he'd like to come back on. He had no response yet, but I hope to hear from him soon um, because I'd love to talk to that guy. A wide receiver at Princeton knew that uh, he probably didn't quite have the speed for a wide receiver in the NFL, so he put some bulk on, played the tight end position, and every time we see him on the field, all he's doing is big plays. And uh, so, what does Matt Nagy do? He d- doesn't throw him the ball. Never balls, plays but... him. Never fucking plays him. <laughs> let's and play, let's play and... Graham. The eighty. Yeah, but he didn't play Graham that much either that's, last that's season. That's true. It's... Despite the, the the money he was making. Yeah, it's just like damn. Like what? What did, I mean, he, he, there's no rhyme or reason for anything he ever did. Mm-hmm. Yep. In my opinion, I, I'm just so glad he's gone. He's the most frustrating coach I've ever seen for the Bears ever. Yep. I, um, it's a tough pick, man. Let me ask people in the chat. In, in the chat, who is the most frustrating, uh, to use Dan's exact words, who's the most frustrating head coach you have witnessed in your time as being a, a fan of Chicago Bears? You know, I go back again to the 1960s, so I've got a lot of coaches to pick from, you know. Uh, I saw the name Eb, Abe Gribron earlier. It was a part of a joke, so I don't know if that person was, you know, really thought that Abe was a terrible coach. I kind of liked Abe. I loved his gruff attitude. You know, Abe was uh, unfortunately coaching teams that just didn't have talent, Um the Trestman years, the Fox years, and the Nagy years, I think I have to give those guys a tie for first place, man. Those three, this is this is why I, I'm I, I've learned to be a little bit more pop uh, uh, pessimistic about the Bears and their potential next season, just because of the bad coaching we've seen over the years. So here are some of the some of the answers coming in. Travis says Nagy was the worst. Jordan says John Fox, I think beats him though. Jay Sanders, Tressman and Nagy, uh, Kempai, Tressman and Nagy, um, Foster Covers, who's I think as old as I am, says Abe. Jack was great, but left us. Yeah, Jack Pardee, he was a very, very good coach, but he liked the Washington Redskins more than he did the Chicago Bears. He left after a couple of seasons. How and about, then went to Houston, too. And went to the Oilers, that's right. Mo Beerman says, how about Neil Armstrong? Neil Armstrong wasn't that terrible. It came from the Vikings, and so he had a defensive mentality. Um, I, I don't remember his one loss record, but he wasn't nearly as – He had one playoff appearance in 79. The most damning thing I heard about Neil uh-huh. was the story that Gary Fensick always uh, shares in 81, okay. which is the year before Ditka, where he said that they were in Detroit, and he never says who the player was. But before the half even started, late in the second half, this guy went to the locker room and made a phone call and was on the phone like when the game was still playing. What? Yeah. I, so it's like he said there was no accountability when Neil Ar- he said Neil Armstrong was a nice enough guy, mm-hmm. but it felt like they needed the guy that would fucking kick your ass for doing some shit like that, which is Sort of like Matt Nagy in that regard. There's no accountability. Anyone can do what they want. Yeah. And that same thing with Trestman. Like, you know, 
we've talked about Lance is like, I'm going to open up a fucking restaurant. And, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to be there. <laughs> it's okay. You don't have to be here, Lance. Fuck yeah. It. That's the toughest thing about being a head coach or a manager, coach, NBA, whatever, is dealing with the personalities. I would imagine, of course, that football is even tougher because there's many more of them, you know, 54 players. Um, and uh, it takes a special kind of human being to show that, you know, uh, discipline, but also, you know, show some heart. Um, it's not an easy thing for a lot of uh, coaches to do. Uh, so hopefully Eberflus will have that magic. All right, uh, we got about uh, 20 minutes or so. I want to talk a little bit about some of the pop culture stuff that we watch. I told you that I watched the Grammys uh, this past week, and I wrote down a couple of notes on things that I thought you might be interesting to talk about, Dan. Sure. Justin Bieber is a very talented kid. I don't want to take anything away from him. You know, Whether you like his music or not, it's undeniable the guy is an artist. But I, every time I see him perform... I get a little riled up because he looks like that spoiled kid who everything has come easy for him. You yeah. know, <laughs> doesn't it seem that way to you? It's like, I, yes. I, 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 and I know that that's kind of a fault on my behalf, you know, that I judge him that way, but he does seem like, a, do, like do you know the Anne Frank story with him? Yeah, that's right. Remind people how that was. He tweeted something out after being there. <laughs> so he visited, I guess it was the attic that Anne Frank had to stay in during the war. That's right. And then signed the guest book and said something like Anne Frank would be a believer. <laughs> Jesus, what an idiot. Jesus fucking Christ, man. He's like, he has no idea about the Holocaust whatsoever or what this girl went through or what the race of people went through. It's just unbelievable. The ignorance, but he's a product of his generation where they don't, study history it's like for so many people born in the 90s world war ii might as well have been a fucking movie that came out a long yeah, time ago exactly yeah exactly and i and i i think i went through a period in my life where stuff that happened in the past and history and stuff just didn't seem like reality to me but as i've gotten older it's like holy shit this stuff really did happen six million jews were killed in the holocaust you know uh pearl harbor really was uh, bombed and 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 we did have Japanese internment camps and and things like that. It's like holy shit, man! Stuff starts to weigh on you. Sometimes and you know what's the expression? Ignorance is bliss. Maybe I'd be happier if, if I didn't. I don't want to interrupt your Grammy talk, but just as uh, a segue that we'll come back to. Sure. That's why I like so much about the Laker episode this week. Yes. Because you, I don't even know if that's true, but that was the character arc for Kareem. Everything you were basically just saying. Absolutely. Uh, just a couple more things on Grammy, and then we'll get to that topic. Carrie Underwood has the nicest legs I've ever seen <laughs> by a performer, and she must work those legs out, man. She did a performance, which was pretty damn good, um, and uh, she just I just had to say, because I wrote in my notes, and I'm editing. Well, that Dua Lipa's got some good legs. Oh, my goodness. There's some beautiful women in Dua Lipa does, too. Camila yes. Cabello, holy uh, fucking hell! Geez, what is she? What is she? Cuban? Yes. Uh, well, uh, yes. Her parents are from Cuba, correct? She is fucking immaculate. Yes, she is. Um, she's going to be on Saturday Night Live uh, this upcoming weekend. Uh, so it's going to be that's going to be a treat to watch her perform. Um, the other thing I wanted to say about as I'm watching the country music uh, performers at the Grammys, it oh, seems like of any music genre, baritones 
like dominate country there that particular draw uh genre of music you know you i've heard baritones sing r&b music all my life you know with the, the baritone guy with the temptations and and uh uh on and on and on baritones are out there but boy it seems like five out of every 10 country songs i hear are sung by a baritone why is that you know you have any idea on that i i have no appreciation for this genre at all really so you're probably asking the wrong person i hate it i hate how like if we're talking about rock music just as an example mm -hmm. we can say someone to the extreme of maybe death metal or maybe someone that wanted to push your buttons like marilyn manson in the 1990s but also someone squeaky clean like i don't know uh i think somebody that's really not pushing by his buttons like like you never really heard Tom Petty starting any shit with anybody, right? Doesn't Tom Petty seem like one of those kind of guys? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, but my point is, there was individuality. Uh huh. Yeah. Different genre within the rock. Then you got someone politically like Bono, mm. but you just have different characters, almost different personalities. Country music, everybody's the same. Mm -hmm. There's never been like a a gothic country singer. Like they all have to have their fucking costume on, their cowboy hat, you know, their shoes, the buckle. It's all they all look the same, with the exception of the dude from Hootie and the Blowfish. Mm -hmm. They all look the same. All the lyrics are the same pandering bullshit, like a beer never broke my heart. You know, like <laughs> there's never any substance to the lyrics. It's always catering to the God, I, I sound condescending. I, I digress. The point is, there's never anything I can relate to lyrically, nor anything about the presentation that I like. I just, I hate that genre. I'm close-minded. Hair Bear says, because country music likes big, deep voice country guys with blue jeans and dogs and big trucks, and they have to be gruff. There, that, I think that has a lot to do with it, is, is to uh, perpetuate this uh, myth that they're tough guys and, you know, and they may be singing about a woman that broke their heart, but they're still sound tough. Like they can deal with it and stuff. There are a lot of country songs that I like. Uh, so I'm surprised that you're saying you, you just don't, it doesn't appeal to you in any way, huh? No, unequivocally. No, <laughs> no, no, not any era of country, not any musician that was country, but especially today's country, which is pop Taylor Swift bullshit. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Like Keith Urban is from like Australia. I mean, maybe he's the one that doesn't, you know, wear the cowboy hat or whatever. Unless he, unless I haven't seen him with a hat, maybe he does wear it. But uh, he certainly doesn't project the image as a, a tough guy or something. He's like, you know, like Mike, I'm just fucking Nicole Kidman, you know, mm -hmm. like, and he's happy about it. But I'm just saying that the music it almost is pop. Mm -hmm. It's very poppy. It's not like I'm in a country station right now, and if we play something current and then maybe play something from the 90s, it almost sounds like a different station immediately because mm. country has changed that much. Where you go from like a Morgan Wallen today to say a, a Garth Brooks or a Randy Travis from back in the day, the music is completely different because now it's like the way Taylor Swift's country music was. It's pop. Mm -hmm. And that's that's what's dominant in that field now. But So it's especially bad. Foster Covers says, Dan, watch toby keith uh the song being as good as i once was i know the song i, I don't like it I, again i don't want to say his his opinion isn't valid because it is mm -hmm. my opinion it means nothing it's just one dude's opinion 
all these country artists are making a great living. So obviously other people disagree with me and I'm cool with that. And I admit that I'm close-minded to it. I just don't like that genre at all. Hey, more power to you. What about Johnny Cash? Not a fan? Nope. Nope. I actually had a girlfriend in like 08 was trying to tell, or 07, trying to tell me that Johnny Cash wrote Hurt. I was like, are you out of your fucking mind? That's off the Nine Inch Nails album, Downward Spiral. Oh, no, that's a Johnny Cash song. I was like, that is a Nine Inch Nails song. And, of course, he covered Nine Inch Nails, but Lauren didn't believe me. <laughs> I didn't know that he covered Nine Inch Nails. I'll, yeah. have, to, I'll have to look for that. <laughs> it's true. It's uh, all right, let's talk about Winning Time, uh, the Lakers series on Showtime TV. Boy, this episode was fantastic, man. And now the series is like I, – I, I like the very first couple of episodes. I like them. But now I'm, like, starting to love this series. It yeah, is I really wish really Jeff good. Perlman were with us right now. Yes. There's, like, three things I want to know right now. Mm-hmm. Was Kobe Bryant really at the game as a baby? When uh, Kareem hit the hook and Magic's first start or first game ever, was Kareem really there? Is that bullshit? Secondly, wow, so Paula Abdul was the first ever Laker girl? Yes, that's how I remember. I remember her being a Laker girl. Whether she was the first, I don't know for sure. Um, but, but let me look that thing up with Kobe because I was wondering the same thing, you know, Kobe Bryant as a child at that At the game. first Ma- Magic's first game. It mm-hmm. said he was in the crowd. I mean, uh, how old was Kobe? I mean, obviously he was a baby there, but I was like, was Kobe even alive yet? I guess he was. Yeah, but Yeah, he was. The game's in November 79. Was he real at the forum that night? Uh-huh. Let's see. The LA Times, Jerry Buss's Showtime inspired a young Kobe Bryant. With news that Lakers owner Jerry Buss is ill, this was from 2013. Kobe Bryant said he and the rest of the team trying to maintain a positive outlook. Uh, yeah, high praise. So that's not related to the show. I'll keep looking for it as we talk, but... Yeah, I thought that was wild, but the the major storyline was Kareem Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Could he have made such a transformation after one game, though? No. Or was that maybe just because of the show? The way I remember it is that it took a while, and I hope that the series still shows him battling some of this transformation that he underwent. But I think for that episode, uh, it's actually kind of maybe – more emblematic of what happened to Kareem that entire season. and Like just condensing it because it's exactly, a show. Exactly. I love the comment that Magic made to him. Uh, something like, you know, you're walking around angry at the fucking world, you know? And I was like, man, that's so true. Maybe that would be the comment that would inspire someone like Kareem mm-hmm. to reevaluate what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, I don't, again, I just don't know if this is like a caricature of Kareem or if this is really the way it was. Uh, but he just uh, going looking at the show now. It appears that like he was happy. He already won his championship, mm-hmm. and he was contemplating retirement. And he's like the the scene with his uh, I guess she was his wife, uh, and they were talking. And he's like, I gotta play one more season, I guess, because we need the money. Or you know, it's just like he was basically done and worn down from I guess losing. Or and it took a while, but you know the. Showtime and magic seems to have inspired him. And obviously that's good for Kareem because he played to, he's like fucking 43. So <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. They, um, you know, all of the stories that I've read over times about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, he was always very difficult to connect with. And I think the series did a nice job of explaining why, 
you know, he was just upset uh, with what was happening in America towards blacks. He, he sought out Islam to help him deal with some of those frustrations. Um, he clashed with his father a little bit regarding uh, the change of uh, religion, all that stuff I had read and known about. And, um, and he was, you know, he, he took solace in his jazz music where he had the biggest jazz record collection of maybe anybody in the world. I mean, we're talking thousands and thousands of albums. And his house burned down years later, and he lost that entire collection. Can you imagine that, Dan? Oh, man. Oh, uh, when I, this is not the same thing, but when I was uh, a week before I turned 15, and if you can imagine when you're 15, at least for me, I assume you had a, a, a way that you made money at that age too. But for me, it was mowing lawns. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have a job. You don't work yet. But someone had broken into, we still lived in the trailer then. I didn't live into a house until uh, the next year in 1996, we got our, our first house. Mm -hmm. But in 95, we still lived in a trailer. Someone broke in and stole all of my fucking CDs, like 100 CDs. Mm -hmm. And when you're 14 or um, a week before I turned 15, you can't just go rebuy them. You can't stream because there's no streaming yet. Right. You can't even burn them yet. You have to buy the actual CD. You can't even get singles at that point. Like if you're like, I just want the one song, like you right. have to buy the album. Yeah. Yeah. The whole CD. So I was fucking crestfallen. Mm. I joined, uh, thankfully in like 10 days, I had Columbia house ship me like 10 CDs for a penny mm -hmm. and it got me going the right way. But <laughs> yeah, So it's not the same as Kareem losing thousands of records, but yeah. considering he could go rebuy them, it's, yeah. it's almost the same in some regard. Yeah. But it's just so difficult. You know, when you've got thousands of jazz albums, you got to imagine that there's some uh, one of a kind uh, pressings and, you know, things that are just very difficult to, to find, but he lost uh, and he lost a lot more than, than albums. So, I remember reading this uh, newspaper story years years ago uh, about how devastated that 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 was for him. Uh, you know, the guy whose whose who's jazz music really meant a lot to him. I, it's a lot like you, Dan. I get the impression that you know when I'm when I'm feeling blue, I'll put on some music, and in five minutes, man, I'm feeling a lot happier. But to you, Dan, I get the impression your love of music is like even deeper than that. Am I right? Yeah, but some of the music I like is darker and dour sometimes, and I don't even mean by presentation, just by some of the lyrics. Yeah. So it can exacerbate sadness if you don't watch it mm -hmm. uh, in some regards. But yeah, even in that instance, sometimes you just need to feel like someone else understands you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, music music means a lot to me. Uh, you know, I my whole life, it's been one of those things. Like, I was the kid in school for sure that, had uh, a Walkman or a CD, a portable CD player, or whatever. I had headphones on every day, every day. <laughs> so yeah, I, I if you saw me, I had headphones on. Um, I want to also uh, time uh, quickly running out here. But I want to also address the ending of the episode, which was heartbreaking to see. Um, yeah. and I want to. Uh, I, I should. I think I got that particular Jeff Perlman book. Uh, if not, I'm going to get it because I, I do want to fact check some of this stuff. Here's a guy in, in this episode, and this might be emblematic of it too. It appears that his coaching style is finally getting through to the entire team. And Jabbar, who was the most recalcitrant, I think is the word, to, to uh, uh, embrace the fast-paced, move-the-ball-up-the-court offense. 
Uh, don't take 24 seconds to put a clock up. Cut that time in half and even more if you can. And Jabbar didn't want to. Jabbar was like, you know, I, I'm going to set up at the post. You get me the ball. 30 and 10, baby. 30 and 10. <laughs> exactly. 30 and 10. And, um, and so, but he finally gets Jabbar and the entire team to buy into it. They're winning. He goes out for a bike ride and he gets fucking run over. And it's like the closing shot is so sad. Um, and he went on to coach after that, but man, it wasn't with the Lakers and he didn't get a chance to hoist the NBA uh, trophy. That is, it, that it was, that was catastrophic. Knowing what we know now about the rest of his coaching career, uh, that was never quite the same. This guy missed out on an opportunity to be considered one of the all-time greatest coaches. Yeah, it's so unfortunate. I agree with you. And it, yeah, for the, them to be on a roll, and it's going to be interesting to see how, you know, Paul Westhead, because his character's so meek right now. Oh, my goodness. Played uh, by, uh, what's his uh, name? Jason Siegel. Yeah, he's great in it. <laughs> yeah, and, and if, if you saw the end of it where it was giving the preview the next week, uh-huh. I guess he's going to get Riley to be his assistant almost immediately. Yeah. And get off of the microphone. So that's going to put, he's picking his successor, but obviously that ended up being great for the organization for so many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I am interested to see how that plays out on the show. Uh, his transformation to make the team buy into him. And as we know, uh, as the story's been told, that Magic was kind of the reason Westhead got fired. Mm-hmm. And a lot of players resented that because, you know, they're like, ah, he parties with Jerry Buss and, you know, this guy's a kiss ass. And even though he'd already won the championship, even Magic said that until he won again in 82, it was like there were still a lot of detractors mm-hmm. of his. So that was the the – when they got Riley and then they won the title, it was almost like that's when he got, okay, you deserve to be here. You're the leader. Mm-hmm. Speaking of magic, um, you sent me something today from variety.com. Magic Johnson was interviewed. Uh, oh God. Did you read that? I read it and I actually uh, found a little clip of that actual moment Oof, when, God. So why don't you do the setup on this and I'll see if I can cue up the tape. So uh, you got to remember context is king. I don't know what year this is from, but evidently it's in the early 90s during the period where Magic retired because of his HIV diagnosis and he was still a young man, mm-hmm. relatively speaking. He's like 32 or something. Mm-hmm. He has a failed comeback a little, couple years later, has the great all-star game appearance, obviously wins a, a gold medal in 92 uh, with the Dream Team. But he's never the same with the Lakers again. So he's searching for something to do. So they had him do a talk show because Magic's so charismatic and affable. And so he books Howard Stern, who apparently had been criticizing the show. Or maybe Magic didn't do it, but the people that run the show did. Right. So Magic says, like, man, why do you keep going after me? And Stern starts saying some shit, allegedly. I never saw it that I guess he wouldn't say now because it's 30-plus years ago or 30-odd years ago. But, man, he's like, I grew up in a black neighborhood, and you don't sound black at all. I'm blacker than you are. And, like, if you'd stop acting white and, like, oh, my God. It's like I don't think Howard would try to say that shit now. And if he did, I'm sure he would get canceled. Absolutely. I'm with you on that. Um, 
this was Magic Johnson's attempt to be a late night talk show host, and he was awful. He was awful. I remember seeing a dozen or so episodes, and uh, the ratings were poor. And so his producers said, you know, well, let's bring Howard Stern up. That'll clearly uh, ra- uh, raise ratings. And Magic was against it. Didn't want uh, Howard on. Didn't appreciate that type of humor. But he went along with it. And then here's a little bit of a, a little clip that I found. Um, it's off someone's iPhone. So hopefully the audio comes clear well so white chicks black chicks what do we got so he's talking about uh all of the uh, howard right away takes over the interview he starts asking magic questions and he starts asking him about who he was partying with and how he contacted aids see what did you prefer it's a party of everybody so you would have sex with everybody <laughs> <laughs> at least you had fun that night you know what i'm saying I know guys that go for a blood transfusion. It's real bad. Yeah, you know what I mean? You are I should only have some fun. Now look, I love look. Go ahead. First of all, let's get something straight. Please do. HIV. Go ahead. And nobody has fun getting HIV. No. Well, you believe me, brother, you did. So we got we got to keep it kind of cool. All right. It sounds like fun to me. But you know what? Before I answer this question, Kenny. Right. So any girl. So that was the only clip that was that I could find. Um, but if you see the video at all, you can see that Magic was not happy with that. I had fun, and in the Variety article, he said that he wanted to punch Howard Stern in the face, and I, he deserved it at that moment. Yes, he did. You know, Howard's humor was always out there. He would say something that people would not say. Think in some cases, but not say. And a lot of people probably wouldn't even think of it, uh, which is why he was called a shock jock. But he uh, clearly has to address this because we're we're now in this stage now where, you you know, people are drumming up all of this stuff that happened in the past and trying to, you know, say, well, this guy said all these racist things in the past, these jokes and so forth. It's a very, very strange time for comedians uh, Howard Stern, according to Variety, Howard Stern was uh, contacted to see if he would provide a comment, and they did not respond. So maybe on an upcoming show, I know you listen to the show occasionally. Uh, if you hear him respond to that, uh, maybe you can grab that clip for us, and we can talk about it on next week's show. Sounds good. I'll I'll see. Uh, you know, he doesn't. He takes a lot of days off. He does. I, I guess it's because he doesn't need to work. Right. But it seems like he only does like two shows a week. Yeah. I I will uh I think he's actually going to start doing one show a week pretty soon. Uh which is fine, you know. Uh, people do weekly podcasts. You and I do weekly podcasts. I mean, he's he's in his mid 60s now. Um let him, you know, let him do whatever he wants, but uh and his show has has changed quite a bit. I I know a lot of people are disappointed at the change that the show has taken. I think he's just matured. The guy goes to therapy three three days a week, and it, I think he has a he's always felt a sense of guilt at, at how he became famous because of his uh, juvenile humor. Uh, but that's a topic for another day. All right, you got to get out of here, brother. Yeah, but before I go, uh, I made a promise to one of our listeners. But uh, maybe next week we can dive into the Uber show because the finale's next week too. Oh, good. Okay. Uh, but this week's was pretty good as well. Oh my gosh, yes. But I wanted to mention uh, a question I had from uh, in on Twitter from uh, Sanjin uh, Jovanovic. Yeah, great guy. Yeah, he was asking uh, what we thought if essentially if Mitch 
had somebody in 2018 ahead of him, whether maybe if Cutler were still there or even Mike Glennon, he was, he wasn't like, he wasn't propping up Glennon. He was just using that as an example Mm -hmm. of somebody that was a veteran. And if, if they had more time to develop, he was saying if Cutler had still been there, uh, would that have been better for Mitch? I told him I would ask you what you thought about it. I'm sorry. Uh, rephrase the question again. Essentially, instead of throwing Mitch as the starter in 2018, yeah. would it have been better for Mitch's development as a bear mm-hmm. if Cutler were still there yeah. and he could have learned a little bit under Jay and then sort of transitioned the way we wanted Fields to be last year under Dalton? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was saying if there had been a veteran presence uh, and uh, would that have helped Mitch's development or his career as a bear? Yeah, well, and you can speak to this because you know about this as much as me, and maybe more. I'm a lot more. This is it would I, I think it would have been almost like the McMahon Flutie situation. Uh, Jay Cutler didn't would not have wanted Metro Trubisky there. And as much effort as Cutler appeared to be making from a maturity level, from a team leader standpoint, and so forth, I, I don't think he would have liked that whatsoever. Being the first stringer and looking over at the sideline and seeing his heir apparent after his, but he was friends with Josh McCown. Just to be fair, he was, he was, and and one of the reasons why I think is because he respected McCown's knowledge of the game, and McCown, by all accounts, is just such a fabulous locker room leader, and but never tried to take over the team. He he stepped in and gaps of leadership that Cutler just didn't want to be bothered with. And and McCown provided that and Cutler in turn showed appreciation for that. So I don't know. I I, I can't say with any certainty, but I, you know, Cutler to me would have probably have been the wrong guy, but I, I, I probably would have tried it out anyway. Just anything. Better than Mike Glennon. Better than Mike Glennon. Oh my gosh. Yes. That, That was another Royal mistake by Ryan Pace. I'm, I'm as glad that he's gone as, as uh, the other idiot, the bald-headed fuck. <laughs> bald fuck Matt Nagy. <laughs> People have been using that in the chat room, by the way. <laughs> Good. Good. I hope it catches on forever. <laughs> that might be a t-shirt. We, we might have to put that. It's got to it's gotta say something else, like good riddance. <laughs> bald-headed fucker. And just put a visor. <laughs> On the you don't have to just you don't even have to use a caricature of Nagy, just the visor. That's right. And like, you know, Sayonara ball fuck or something. <laughs> what size are you? Double X? <laughs> I gotta make as long as we can get, because I'm six five, man, and shirts or t shirts are short now for sure. Yeah, I know, man. Uh I used to wear XL all the time. Now I'm I'm moving into the double X because yeah, you wash a t shirt now and it's my you can see my belly button after it's come out of the wash and I put it on. It's like well, not, I've, not a good I've told you before, like I can go back and wear like an Anthony Thomas jersey that I bought twenty plus years ago. That might be an extra large, and it still fits well. Yeah. But if if I buy a new one today, the fields I have to buy a three X. Yes, I'm with. But you, I man. used to be able to wear an extra large and can still wear it. Do you think that's because of the fabric that they're using now, or they are just kind of mislabeled? Maybe that's it. Maybe it's kind of like skinny jeans, and the jersey's supposed to be tighter. Yeah. Jesus, I don't know, man. All I know is this: I, I need to buy clothes, and, and I'm afraid to do so because. 
my, I'm getting a little bit bigger. I need to lose weight before I, I step into a clothing store because that's a, always, you know, a hard thing to look in the mirror and, and see these fucking jeans. You can't get them past your fucking ass. I'm talking about so myself. many people from your generation years <laughs> later lamented about how bad bail, uh, bail bottoms were. Yeah. I, I, these skinny jeans are the worst fashion I've ever seen. Well, the bell bottoms are coming back. Fucking scrotums too. <laughs> yes, indeed. And the bell bottoms are coming back too. So that was something I saw at the Grammys. Uh, so, uh, do you still own any um, bell bottoms? <laughs> I never had any of those, but I did have fucking baggy ass jeans from the '90s, and please let them come back. <laughs> like just the—I mean, I still wear jeans from like 2000. Yeah, literally, I—I I have a bunch of like Hilfiger or Carl Kanai. <laughs> That I still wear because you know they're like you said they're wide leg and baggy as shit, and yeah. they're fucking comfortable. And I've had them since fucking Clinton was president. <laughs> Speaking of, because my waist has either been thirty eight or forty, my, basically my whole life. Jeez. So, I I'm still I right now if I buy jeans, like I I can still wear thirty eights or forties that I bought twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. But if I go to buy shit now, I I want forty two or maybe even forty four because they're so tight. Mm. Just because of style. And Foster and PJ make good points is that they make more money off of the double X and triple X uh, sales. You know, don't you find when you buy these larger sizes that you have to pay a little bit more? Uh, Yeah. Uh, In some instances, that is correct. Yeah. Um, They jack up just, you know, three or four dollars here or there. But, you know, they're making it. Yeah, (laughs) they are making it. I do believe that these guys are right. They are because these fucking companies look for any way to increase profit even a penny you know you sell a million jeans and you and you sell them more for a penny uh that adds up to a lot of money and so i think that they are purposely have re they have shifted sizes now so an xl is now a double x a double x is now a triple x i'm trying i'm trying to <laughs> i'm trying to it's, it talk is myself very into true this. it is very true <laughs> That's right. Like, or it could be that I'm just getting to be a fat fuck. Well, it's a com- <laughs> with me. It's a combination of all of the above. <laughs> uh, Unfortunately, I got to go. I'm sorry that uh, we had a shorter show, but it, you know, maybe next week we can do the. Maybe we can come on eight thirty east next week, and maybe we can do a three hour one to all make right. up. Let's let, let's let's plan for that. A uh, three hour show would be great. And we'll hopefully have Tooch back and. And, and we can uh, talk about the finale for the Uber show. Will be another episode in the Lakers show. And so I'll, and I'll work on bringing uh, Jim McMahon on. If not Jim McMahon, maybe we can find another expert uh, to come in and talk with us. They are always. Watching. I'd like to get Eric Kramer to come back to share his thoughts on how things went with Fields because he said he was watching. You're yep. going to be watching from afar. Yeah, we can reach out to Eric. He's a great guest, man. Oh yeah, I mean, and maybe he could give us an update on what's going on with that horrible lady you know yes that is a fascinating story that's a fucking uh tv series too if you want to start pitching ideas on for hbo and showtime and the next series to do that whole eric kramer thing would be a fascinating story jeff perlman start working on that (laughs) yeah or write the book about it and and make you know someone uh acknowledge it yeah uh jeff perlman announced today that he's finishing up his latest book bo jackson on bo jackson so that's one for the for the shelf too that, that's got to be a fascinating story all right brother go out there and save some lives and be careful yeah i'm at work until 4 p.m today so i appreciate the show it'll help get me through the next 16 hours <laughs> all right man hang in there all right you all be well all thanks right. everybody listen all right that is our man dan Aguirre. uh there he goes out into uh 
into onto the road to head over to his 911 job. I want to um what do I want to do here? First get rid of this. Yeah, get rid of that. Um PJ says he wants to see me in bell bottoms. PJ, I you know, I go back to the days of elephant bell bottoms and and platform shoes. So, uh I've got pictures somewhere. So, I'm not going to share those with anybody because I'm already ridiculed enough in my life. And so <laughs> um, I just uh, wanted to stick around another minute or so and let you know what is going on here at the bar room. Guys, uh, on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Central, we've got a show on uh, it's the de- debut of the video version of the Mac and Reed show. This is a show that I'm really, really excited about. The Mac yeah, and the Bee Gees, right? Uh, the Mac and Reed show, I was a guest on their show probably around six years ago. They had a podcast covering Chicago sports, and then uh, they brought me back another time or two. And I, I thought these guys were really, really good and that these guys were building something that could potentially be seen uh, or listened to on Chicago radio. And then they, they took the year off because of the pandemic, and I reached out to them and said, hey, are you guys thinking about coming back? If so, would you like to come to the Barroom Network? We quickly talked it over and agreed on things. They are doing two weekly shows now, one uh, audio only, and the other one, uh, they they, they want to do it on, 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 on StreamYard here on, on our YouTube channel to have some interaction with you. Bears fans, uh, sports fans, uh, and talk about a lot of the same things that Dan and I talk about it, but a lot cleaner. <laughs> Those guys are all both young fathers. Uh, so, But they're very, very talented. So I, I'm asking you to give that show a chance. It's called the Mac and Reed Show. It will be live here 7 p.m. So give it a listen. And if you can't catch it live, then, then uh, uh, give it a try on demand uh, when you can. That is tomorrow at 7 at 2 p.m. It'll be Bar Down Hockey Talk. Vinny Parisi, Joey Parisi, and Eddie Mueller will talk about all the latest NHL news, and they also talk a lot of pop culture stuff. I mean, they've had conversations on their favorite tacos, on their favorite desserts, on, their, on uh, all sorts of things. It's it's a blast. I have a lot of fun listening to those guys. I direct that show, and so I can, uh, if you uh, if you tune in, uh, I'd be happy to exchange uh, thoughts with you in the chat room under the Barroom Network uh, banner. And then uh, tomorrow night at 9 p.m. at Science Fiction. So if yeah, I know uh, Cliff Victoria has been uh, listening to that show or coming on and interacting with the Science Fiction guys, and he's really high on the show and has done a nice job of letting other people know about Science Fiction. So that's uh, tomorrow night at uh, 9 p.m. So join uh, uh, Cliff and myself uh, and uh, interact with us in the chat while the guys talk about the latest in the Marvel, DC, science fiction world. And then I also want to plug two more shows on Thursday. It's Crosstown Crosstalk. Vinny has a really cool guest on. Oh, it's White Sox Dave. (laughs) I got to ask you guys something. Those of you who are still here. White Sox Dave, uh, he works over at Barstool Sports. He's he's got a, a tremendous following and so forth. And he posted a video last year when the White Sox were in the playoffs, uh, where he approached John Cusack, uh, who was about to enter the stadium for the game, and he questioned whether John Cusack should even be there because, as most Chicago sports fans know, Cusack is a huge Cubs fan. And he took him to task, saying, "You know, why are you here? Well, you you shouldn't be here. This is our playoff game and so forth." And I thought it was rude, and I thought it was wrong. First of all, John Cusack played 
Showless Jew Jackson in the uh, Eight Man Out movie, an outstanding baseball movie about the 1919 Black Sox scandal. And so just for that alone, he, he deserves a free ticket because he played Shoeless Joe Jackson in a fabulous way. It made you feel sorry for him. If the Hall of Fame ever considers uh, putting Shoeless Joe in the Hall of Fame, which they should, they should watch that movie uh, just alone because as I understand it, it's, it's, it's factually on target. So um, so he's going to be uh, Vinny's guest Thursday on Crosstown Crosstalk. And I, I just, I feel like I should, interrupt the show and tell White Sox, Dave, Dave, I think you were full of shit when you did that. So I'd like to get your opinion. Should I do that or just stay cool, stay out of it and uh, let Vinny do his thing. So that's something that's happening on Thursday uh, at 2 p.m. Central. And then at 8 p.m., Danny Shimon and Neil Stopchinski are going to evaluate another dozen or so players uh, that they think could uh fit the Chicago Bears for the 2022 season. So that is going to be very, very cool. I know the guys do a lot of work in preparation for that show. So hopefully you can join us live. If not, catch all of these shows on demand. Uh, audio versions, all you got to do is uh, go to wherever you get your podcasts and hit Barroom Network and our feed of shows will pop up all of it totally free. And then, of course, all of our uh, webcasts are stored on our are, uh, stored on our YouTube channel here at uh, uh, the Barroom Network YouTube channel. Uh, Jordan says, always appreciate it. Although, hey, uh, Jordan, I'd love to have you on in a future show to talk football, whether it's with Greg or maybe some of the other guys. Uh, so hit me up on DM. And that's another thing that I want to do. Uh, and, and I want to do this right after the draft. Uh, this show and a couple of other shows, I'd love to have some of you barflies on just to, you know, get to see your you face to face. You know, we'll, we'll uh, talk sports and, um, and, 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 you know, maybe have us five or six people on at the same time and, and I'll uh, pl play the referee and, and have a good conversation. So hit me up uh, if you have any interest on that. I know I've already two or three people have reached out to me, uh, but if you have any interest on that, reach out to me. My email is aldo at bearsbarroom.com. Uh, Art by Nike says he's down already. Awesome. Uh, so again, it's aldo at bearsbarroom.com or just DM me on any of my Twitter accounts, uh, Aldo Barkeeper or uh, the Barroom Network uh, uh, DM. So uh, Stephen Nagishi wants to be a part of it, and I'd love to have you on, Stephen. Stephen's got such great insight into sports, and he's a fellow Nagy hater. So just for that reason alone, I, I love him. And if you did not check out Stephen and Ken Fang's show on Monday, the Double A team, that's available available on demand as well. They had on two great guests, and they talked a lot of Chicago Bears football, and they talked about some of the hot topics going on in sports. So that's an excellent show. It, it uh, appears live every other Monday here on the – Barroom Network, and of course, uh, the season two of South Burbs Hitman. If you're a White Sox fan, that's every Monday night at 8 p.m. They had Alyssa Bergerimi on. She is the host at White Sox Games and just a delightful uh, interview. And so that was fun. So we got all sorts of good stuff here at the Barroom Network. Um, we know that there's a lot of options for you to listen to, to watch. And the fact that you choose us, uh, even if it's every once in a while, we're really, really uh, grateful for that. So with that, although what was that email again? I can do it. Okay. Uh, let me put it up on the screen. Aldo at bearsbarroom.com. 
Although at bearsbarroom.com, that is the email. Send it to me, and uh, we'll uh, work out dates and, and all the particulars involved with that. Really, really looking forward to that. I've been wanting to do it for some time, and I think uh, a couple of weeks after the draft and so forth uh, will be a fun time because we'll have lots to talk about. All right, that's this episode of Dan and Aldo Bear Their Souls. I hope Johnny Santucci is having a fabulous time with his family on vacation near the Siesta Key area. I hope uh, Dan Aguirre is, uh, has a nice slow night and hasn't, doesn't have uh, any emergencies and he can watch uh, some of his favorite programs uh, in between calls. And I hope uh, that I have a better day tomorrow than I did today when uh, everything went wrong in the morning. <laughs> but this has been the highlight of my day uh, doing this show with Dan. All right, everybody. Uh, talk to you later. Um, that's it for Dan and Aldo, Bear Their Souls. And I'm just filling time here as I try to find the closing video. <laughs> Thank you.